and welcome to the Hitman's Last Great Year, a Smack Attic podcast project. We are talking about Bret Hart's final year in the World Wrestling Federation, which I will describe as roughly 1997. I am your host, Matt Vaughn. I will be joining you, or you'll be joining me, I guess. I'm going on this journey. I guess you're hopping along. You're on my tailgate, jumping on the truck as we go through the year that is roughly 1997. And just like on the previous Smack Attic Podcast project, the SmackDown 6, I'm going to have a guest co-host with me to break it down each week. We're going to talk about the show. And this week, I have a guy who I've known for, you know what, I knew back in 1996. Uh, this guy is my brother, Will Vaughn. How you doing, Will? Matt, I'm very thrilled, very excited to be here on the inaugural flagship episode of the Hitman's Last Great Year Forgive me if I say the words SmackDown or Six or reference anything <laughs> a little more modern. I'm really going to try to keep it to the time we're talking about here, uh, which is exactly how you describe it. Hitman's last great year uh, wrestling. Uh, read his book very recently to prepare for this. and Right. Yeah. I mean, he it wasn't a great year for him. Uh like personally, personally yeah. he's had very few great personal years, especially like since since this. But yes, it definitely like wrestling wise, and as far as like working as a wrestler, I mean, you you could you can throw out all of his WCW run for sure. He hated that, and he's made no bones about it. If you ever saw him on the Smoking Skull or Broken Skull sessions or any interview with him, I mean, he's he's talked at length about his time there. Yeah, so this is this is the last bit of business that matters for him, and it uh, ends in. I mean, it's it would be um, an understatement to say this year starts. You know, from here where he comes back after a, a little lay layoff uh, after WrestleMania, where he went and shot Lonesome Dove, and now he's uh, back wrestling uh, full time. There's no such thing as a part timer in these days. These guys all work the killer calendar. And you work. know, I would argue, I would argue that Shawn Michaels has something of a uh, part timer schedule throughout this coming year. And I also, this is also the part. You're where right. I'm going to call my shot and say, uh, in the last podcast we did, the SmackDown Six podcast, there wasn't like, I guess if the villain was anyone, it was Raw. <laughs> it was the other show on Monday nights. The Hitman's last great year has a kind of an obvious villain. Well, I mean, the last episode will have a very clear villain. Uh, Shawn Michaels kind of our antagonist as we go through this year. And not to say that I don't, I don't like the guy, but that's just the position that he plays. And at times, he will have a lighter schedule uh, that he, he gets through, uh, I would argue, dubious means, whether it's uh, acting up uh, certain injuries that may or may not exist and various things. And Shawn himself, too. Again, you, you see any interview with Shawn nowadays, he's like, yeah, I, I sucked. I was awful. These aren't rumors. I was hard to handle, hard to deal with, you know. Yeah. He, he, he was tough. And Brett, uh, yes, especially in Brett's book. Brett's book and the afterword, one of the last sentences is, I will never forgive Shawn Michaels and uh, Hunter for ruining the business that I loved. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know. That, that's since, what he ends he, with. And this is after he's made amends with Vince and they make yeah. the DVD. This is before WrestleMania 26. So his afterward came out in about 2007. So uh, whatever, sometime yeah. after Benoit dies, because he runs the litany of wrestlers who have died, doesn't yep. really make any hay out of that. But obviously he was there in Stampede when Benoit was coming up and knows that Benoit's a Dynamite clone because Brett's got a lot to say about Dynamite. He came up right with them. Dynamite kid, Tommy yeah. Billington, not a good man. 
Uh, yeah. Who, you know, who the, the interesting, I know, I know at least I've seen recently in the last like probably six months, I saw a clip of <clears throat> Brett and Sean backstage at an event. And essentially they talked they talk yes. to Brett and he's just kind of like, he's like, yeah, you know, it's pleasantries, right? It's years. Like, hey, it's how is it? But he's also just just saying like, you know, that was a long time ago. And now we can just kind of talk and we just talk about our kids. We talk about just how things are going and. Well, they don't um, wrestle anymore. They're both guys who, right. you know, right. they're both guys who have families. And and Brett's, I think he even he's like, we aren't going to send Christmas cards to each other. Like we're not like close close yeah. friends. But we. It's will, not just terse uh, handshakes. It's like you can actually have a conversation to be like, how are you doing? What's going on? Kind of thing. Time heals good. all wounds, man. And, and Brett, yeah. you know, I mean, Brett hated the World Wrestling Federation for the longest time, and it's obvious why. Uh, did did he, he hate it? Will with Vince. <laughs> Did he hate it for over 50 years is my question. For over 50 years. <laughs> Bret Hart has hated this. Uh, the guy no, real, uh, real quick before, before I explain more about this excellent. whole – Sorry. What's that? The guy does the video package voiceovers uh, oh, and, yeah. and these and uh, I think for a long time to come because he's still the guy who does the – and now. Um, you know, he's like, Maybe. World Wrestling Federation champion Shawn Michaels. He was the heartbreak – you know. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. It's this great stuff. The the presentation is so wildly different from what we covered on a previous podcast and from what you see in modern wrestling, obviously, for a lot of reasons. This is such an – I can't – I'm going to – I might comment on this – how this is such an awkward, like, puberty phase for the yeah. WWF. 96 yeah. to 97, like, pre uh, what you call Attitude Era, where it's just like – we're bad now. Like we're we're lewd, and Brett obviously hates that. He mentions that in the book too. He hates the sexualizing of it, and you know, uh, the 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 language and all that stuff. And so we see the the beginning of it now. But it uh, it it's still they're not quite like they still have the goofy characters like Flash Funk. Like Flash Funk comes out. He's dressed like I, I would say you know you could say a pimp. Kramer in the Seinfeld episode where he's got the Technicolor Dreamcoat on and he's in the police yes. lineup. He's like, all right, exactly. pimp, step forward. He's like, I'm not a pimp. Uh, that was in New York. Uh, but Flash Funk comes out dressed as a as a pimp, you could say. Years later, of course, Charles Wright would just be a pimp. Not subtly. His music said pimping ain't easy. Yeah, it's Literally true. said that. It's true. Sorry. I mean, and you could, it's, also, it's also funny just to be like, you know, so much of the Attitude Era you can look at, it's like, how much does this drive the culture and how much does this react to the culture? Or it's like both you know, I think one hand fed the other totally. Right. I think it is to an extent, right? Where it's kinda like even if you even if wrestling got deleted off the face of the earth, I think folks, what a tragedy that would be. Um but you know, like even There's if you went back to ninety nine, you still have the Jerry Springer and you have Woodstock ninety nine, you still have all this sort of all these other kind of cultural and subcultural like things. South Park, right? South Park kinda yeah, takes yeah, the, exactly. Like, Simpsons was a not a crude cartoon at all. We weren't allowed to watch it, obviously, and mom and dad I still don't, don't worry. But obviously. then South Park comes along and is a is a way more of a looter cartoon that people are like, Oh, this is the this is the this is awesome. This is uh, this is the stuff right here. So you yeah. see all in the next couple of years, you see all the, the the signs of like Undertaker as Cartman or something. Yes, it's you all know? Car- it's Cartman as Stone Cold, and it's just that. It's time and now I realize they probably did that for two reasons. One, because they're just like, I want to show my appreciation and love for South Park and wrestling, mm-hmm. and I also know that this is so easy to draw. It's just a round head. Exactly. You put him in. <laughs> you put a goatee on him. You put him in the and this stuff. 
Uh, and nowadays, wrestling fans like to have uh, signs with very, 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 very obscure inside video game references. <laughs> yeah, I don't have patience for that. Not, like, people are like, oh, it's like, I've heard this game, this game. And I'm like, okay, can we, can we get, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's like Killer Instinct better than Street Fighter. People are like, whoa, can you believe what? that? It's, no, like, he's just he's got a stupid sign. Relax. I know. It, it, part uh. of it is like that. That I think wrestling has become so concentrated in like, like I, again, the, the subcultural force are just like if you like wrestling, there's a good chance you like obscure video games. And as we get closer and closer, it's like, well, I, I don't want wrestling to only be for because <laughs> that's one of the things. If well, you go back and watch about... wrestling, if you go back and watch wrestling from like 30 years ago, which I I, I love doing. Wait, how long is 30 years ago? I think I mean 35 years 92. ago. 92. So that's like SummerSlam 92. But like, but like yeah, 92. Even I would say kind of like into the 80s. Like if you watch a Saturday Night's main event, one of the things I love about that show is when you look at the front row of people, um, there's almost always one or two old ladies who are there. And they're not there because they're yeah. bringing their kids there. They are there because this was their entertainment. No, they're fans. There's so they're many genuine fans. Who have said. And then, and then I, it's so funny. I, wa- I often watch it with my, my good friend Brian, who was on mm-hmm. the last project. Maybe get him on here. It'd be great. Um, yeah. And, and the joke, the joke I always make is like we go from that to like an NXT show from like 2019, and it's like, and look, now the arena is filled with me times 2,000. Like it's just me, oh. it's just guys who look like me a hundred times Dude. over, and it's very funny how homogenous that it all gets. But we'll we, let's bring it back here because we're uh. we're talking about the Hitman's last three years. This new project, recovering Bret Hart's last year in the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF. Back when it was called the WWF, which yep, I really hope brother. I don't mess up. If I can keep my uh, the name of the He's company. Consistent, Mine, brother. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I talk about the WWE champion, you know, if I say you know John Cena, then I'm happy about that. But if I say WWF, I want to keep that straight. This is being released very close to the 25th anniversary of Survivor Series 1987, like kind of the most infamous event in wrestling history, shaped so many things and launched so many things. Now we're not starting there because that'd be an absurd way to start a show. It starts Survivor Series 97. The next month you covered in your house Generation X. That wouldn't be fun. So we're starting the year earlier. We're covering today, as you saw when you pressed play on your podcast, Survivor Series 1996. And this is something I'm going to talk a little bit about. I, what I have to start off, folks, I have some programming notes because I want to tell you what's going well, like. Essentially, if you listen to the SmackDown 6 podcast, I want to tell you kind of like what this is going to be about, what this is going to be like, because I'm excited to share it with you. Then I'm going to talk some context and we'll get into the show. It's going to be fun the whole way, and we'll start from there. So, Will, unlike the last podcast, SmackDown 6, we're not going to be tracking TV ratings. And the reason we're not tracking TV ratings is because TV ratings at this point are bad. They're universally bad. They're just bad the whole way through. This is a time when WWF is losing handily to WCW. Uh, and it's a very interesting. T- it's very strange to watch a lot of recent WWF stuff. Sorry, WWE stuff. I messed it up already. There you go. When, there's not, when they don't really have competition from another wrestling company uh, in a large sense, like AEW exclude, right? And here they're like, oh, we're, we're losing. We're actively behind. What is that like? The shots they take and everything like that. Uh, we're also not tracking w, uh, the pay-per-view buy rates because they're also largely bad. Like, this is this year that we're covering is the year when WrestleMania 13 is beaten by WCW. Like, like a pay-per-view they have that isn't a WrestleMania, like, like their Starcade. Like, it, it gets beaten and buy rate by other companies. So, it's so, so easy. It's an awkward uh, time. Like I said, I, I right? watched, like, some Raws leading up to this. And I was like, wow, Monday Night Raw, uh, back in the day, uh, didn't matter. It really felt like there was like this week we're telling one story and then you're also going to watch some matches. It's a show that they tape, you know, maybe three hours worth sometime. And, you know, well, they would do four. They would they would stack four in a, in a night Four four in a night. OK, so four a night. yeah, pretty wild you thing got, about that. 
Yeah, and then you add all this extra stuff that probably the crowd doesn't see, right? Like backstage interviews and yeah. stuff that's just for the TV show. So they cobbled together something, but the wrestling on Raw is really... I mean, even though leading up to this, there was a tag team title match featuring the WWF champion, but still. Yeah. Besides, besides like, the odd main event here or there, it really doesn't seem like it's that important. And there's also things that happen on WWF Livewire, WWF Superstars. Superstars, like, yeah. Brian Pillman gets whacked on the on the leg with his cane. Whoa, 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 gets... We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. That's, that's... All right, all right, all right. Because that's, that's an important – yeah, I, I mean, for sure. Um, okay, uh, other programming notes. So I won't be doing a move-by-move breakdown of all the matches. So last time, the SmackDown 6 podcast, we were talking about SmackDown in general. We're covering everything to an extent. And I'll say this time, we'll discuss the matches to the extent they deserve to be discussed. And I think this is pretty pretty obvious, right? So, um, like, we're going to talk tonight about the Survivor Series match that features The Rock's WWF debut because that specific aspect is a bit important. But we're not going to spend a, a ton of time on fake Diesel, Farouk, fake Razor Ramon, and Vader. Uh, their match against Flash Funk, Jimmy Snuka, Savi Vega, and Yokozuna. There are elements of that that are interesting. Yeah, like, you know, if you took that star power and pushed it forward a couple of years, and then you got, uh, who, who yeah, else? Kane. Oh, you got Kane, yeah. It's just so funny to see Kane and the Diesel uh, get up. I'm like, did they actually just take Kevin Nash's old stuff, like, did they have some in a warehouse somewhere? Or did they make no. new stuff for Glenn Jacobs, I wonder? It looks like we're uh, here. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, just uh, so a we'll also thing. So every week we'll also be covering a Bret Hart match. And so on shows where there isn't a Bret Hart match, we're going to have a bonus match, which is fun. So we're going to announce Ooh, those at the it. end of each episode. I love it. Uh, along with which show is next. Uh, and so the other thing, too, which is kind of fun, is that uh, we'll be covering pay-per-views and Raws, but there's also going to be a shotgun, shotgun Saturday night that we cover in here. Plus uh, a UK pay per view, so we're getting we're getting oh. to a little bit of there's a little bit. This is one night only, right? They don't go to the UK what? every time. Yes. What do you mean? Oh, because it's oh, yes. Sorry, <laughs> you're, you're going to the very very literal joke of it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, a couple good matches on there. I gotta say. And so yeah, we're kind of we're entertaining kind, show. I'm gonna say I'm saying we're roughly covering 1997, and I say this because uh, first off, 1997 often cited as a great WWF year. Uh, it's pre-attitude era, so you're not like we're, it's not all like two-minute matches where there's run-ins and like I, I recently watched uh, again with my buddy Brian. I watched the Raw from right before S- SummerSlam 1998. Uh, oh, wow. I remember Will, Will, you and I watched SummerSlam '98 uh, last summer. Did we watch that? It was like a thing we, with like Kane and Undertaker. Like, wasn't there a Hell in a Cell match right in the middle of that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, there, yes, yeah, yeah. So you and I watched SummerSlam, and then I think they had clips for like in the Austin uh, Undertaker. Uh, promo video they showed stuff that happened on raw and we we're like what and i think we might went, went no back we watched that, that we watched that together too we yeah watched we watched it, some yeah. of it because i we so i'm watching so I strange so i watched the raw with brian and like it's it's utter chaos 100 it's just like like tri- triple h comes out and it's just like somebody's coming out at the end there's like a hundred guys on the show it's totally crazy but the crowd's going crazy the whole time is what oh yeah, it's, it's, it's the crowds are electric. It's insane. So this is yes. a, this is a different experience from that attitude era, but it's a time where people really loved it because there's some great storylines. We're gonna we're starting into it right now, and there's some awesome awesome shows and matches we're gonna have in here. Now, I am saying this is 1987, although this show is starting in November 1986, and we actually end before 1987 ends. And I, I kind of think of it as kind of a, a more of like a spiritual 1997. And I totally. remember in history classes that I've taken, this is kind of like a uh, this isn't like an official thing at, at all, but I've heard people talk about the kind of the, the long 19th century to go back to history. So they say, oh, the long 19th century is kind of from like 1776 to 1914, essentially saying like 
there's enough in between these times. A lot of that has a lot to do with each other. You have Napoleon, everything like that. That you can kind of all group that together in a way where that can all make sense as like an epoch of history. And then well, yeah, say, we're oh, talking. He's, yeah, and we're a, talking about the Declaration of Independence and then World War One, right? That's yes, the, the start time period there. Yeah. And they say in the twentieth century, kind of went from nineteen fourteen to nineteen ninety one, roughly start of the First World War and the Soviet Union, right? Because when right. you think like, like, there's so much history in there, and so that's just kind of a way of understanding the world where it's like, yes, we can break up the world into hundred year chunks, but it's actually kind of like there's things in there that actually make more sense seen that way, and so that's how I so, feel about yeah. this year, where it's like, look, could we go to the end of nineteen ninety seven? Sure. Will you be? Do you want to listen to a show where I just complain about Degeneration X being annoying for two hours, and then we end with like a Ken Shamrock main events uh, in an in your house? You're not gonna like that. You're not gonna have a good time. So we're doing this instead. And so we're starting here. Survivor Series '96. We're gonna end with a big bang. That's yeah. No kidding. A big and bang I think boom. We, I think though, after Survivor Series '97, I might do another, sh- just one more show after that one, so we don't go out on like a huge bummer. So As a, a, pal- a palate cleanser, like so, folks. Uh, we're yeah. probably gonna watch a Coliseum video of Bret Hart from like 1994. Like, yeah, uh, having like, like Germany or something. He yeah, like a mean gene interstitial kind of thing going on. So I think that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have, we're gonna release this on Thursday mornings for about I think 64 episodes. So starting when you're listening to it. For essentially for a year and twelve weeks after that, because we're covering an episode, you know, weekly television show, then a pay per view. Uh, although I will say, in August 1997, there are two weeks where Raw was on a Friday. Sorry, it wasn't called Raw. They didn't do Raw for two weeks. It was called Friday Night's Main Event. It's not on the WWE Network. It's not on Peacock. It's pretty. It's you can see bits and pieces of it on the internet, but not the whole thing. Wow. So we can't cover that. That'd be a whole thing. The other thing I will say. Stuff. The last thing I will say. We're going to be focusing on what happens on TV and not really off screen. So there's a lot of material out there, like the, like Bret Hart's book, like Will said. Uh, if you want to follow kind of the backstage minutiae, kind of when Bret gets his contract offers from WCW or when Vince uh, says, hey, Bret, we can't c- pay out your contract. You know, I, I, I'm going to hope to sprinkle in that information from time to time. And there's some stuff that happens backstage that directly affects the product where it's like, hey, they're building to a m- match between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and uh, King of the Ring 97. They don't do that match. Why does that nope. happen? So we have to talk about that. But here's the thing. This isn't a history podcast. It's a wrestling one. And so I want it to be a show that if you want to go back and watch these shows with us and then you put this on as kind of your post-game thing, I think you're going to love this show. If you want to hear what happened in 97, you don't have time to watch all the shows, I think you're going to have a great time with us too. So I'm yep. excited to walk with you. We had a ton of fun. If you like what we're doing, by the way, uh, you, we have a whole uh, we have a whole back catalog now. SmackDown 6 podcast. We just did it. We covered the SmackDown 6 Zero SmackDown. Uh, it went from... Summer 2002 until early 2004, and it was a great time. There was lots of great wrestling and stuff. That was basically there. 2003 then, Matt, right? It was spiritual 2003. No, because 2003 yeah, yeah. wrestling was like a pretty huge bummer <laughs> in a way. It's bad. 2003 is not great. So it's let's talk great. about context, Will. I want to take yeah. you back. I want you to come with me in a time machine to a time when you <laughs> – when you're, I think you're 12, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's 1996. And specifically, well, I want to take you to mid-November 1996. Bill Clinton was just reelected a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. No, diggity, no Diggity by Blackstreet featuring Dr. Dre at the top of the charts. <laughs> and yes. the World Wrestling Federation is not doing so hot against World Championship Wrestling out of Atlanta, which nope. was doing well. They were doing good, and they started doing extremely well when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall left WWF, came to WCW, and then connected with Hulk Hogan to form the NWO. Heard of it? New to you? Uh, I know they're for life, I'm pretty sure. They are for life. There is an NWO sign in the building here. There is, uh, yeah. The cheeky that. little bugger r- runs a sign down. There's a lot of observations about the crowd I like, I like to make. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And Will, is Vlad there? You bet your ass Vlad, Vlad is right there. I think he draws Jax with Owen Hart right at the beginning of the show. Oh, does he? Yeah. Well, he, he has a very prominent thing there, too. Okay, back to 1996 context. The WWF is in the new generation era, which can kind of be described as, like, we got rid of all the steroid guys, and now we have to kind of do what we can with the little guys. Why do they uh, have to get rid of them, Matt? Yeah, the big because... guy. Sorry? <laughs> Let's say why they had to get rid of them. The, the steroid thing was big in Brett's book, too, and, and Brett was yeah. the champion right after the steroid thing uh, went off. And uh, that's why, you know, when Hulk started in WCW, Hulk looked a lot different. Yeah, he was deflated, a little bit, little bit of, uh, leaner. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then Brett, he got big again. Yeah, somehow. Uh, yeah, Brett called them roided out juice monkeys. Uh, so, so quite a few. Yeah, mu- mu- much, much fewer of those. And it's not even that. Like WWF is still getting a lot of WCW guys to their side. They're just getting like. Mm-hmm. Terry Gordy. <laughs> well, just, it's just guys from like NWA in 1986 is what it is. Like they're going to get Magnum yeah. TA here in a minute. I think is what well, we're going to get. Gordy, the big guys, mustache got, out there. And, you know, they take Cactus Barry Jack. Wyndham. They they get Barry Windham. They get. Um, I mean, Too Cold Scorpio was an ECW guy, right? But he was also he was also WC. I think. Maybe well, that, uh, yeah, you're maybe probably you're probably Vader. Vader's a huge Vader. one. Sid. Vader. Sid and Sid. Vader just. Picture him walking down the street with Colonel Tom Parker. Oh boy! Walking down the beach with Colonel Tom Parker with walking Sid. The, the beach street. Uh, yeah, Sid. And Sid in flip flops. Yeah, and drugs. It's an, it's an important detail. <laughs> That's uh, some good stuff. And Bulldog so yeah, so, and uh, yeah, all those guys. So we're in the new generation. We have all those WCW guys, all, all sorts of WCW guys, and we have guys like uh, Bret Hart, our protagonist, and Shawn Michaels. Oh, they are thriving. And Steve WCW Austin. guy. For God's Stunning sake. Steve. Uh, yes. So yes, Brett and Sean are like clearly the the guys. Uh, and so Sean was made the guy. Uh, he was yeah. crowned with the WWF title, WrestleMania 12. He bested Bret Hart in an Iron Man match. Oh, and then Brett took man, a bunch of time off, and he's only back wrestling on TV as of tonight, Survivor Series 1996. And Shawn Michaels has not been very impressive as a champion from a business perspective. They try to put him in some feuds. He was a, he faced Vader at SummerSlam. He faced Mankind yeah. at Watch Mind that. Games. He had, a, I, I believe, yeah. he had a, a feud with Davy Boy Smith. Uh, British Bulldog for a couple pay reviews. Beware there. of Dog, yeah, yeah, and I think there was another one after that, if I'm not mistaken, or before that. So, um, yeah, Sean not lighting the business on fire. Um, that's what they mm. wanted him to do, but and they're yeah. about to make something of a big change. And so that is our big picture context for what 1996 looks like. And so, well, it's the show we're covering tonight. Uh, Survivor Series 1996, but. I want to talk to you about what happened on last week's episode of this podcast, but this podcast still doesn't have last week's episode. Last episode we recorded, was, <laughs> I don't think the context is going to help people very much. So let's, let's it would talk not about, help people. Are you going to talk about the Rob leading up to this? I'm going to talk about Buried Alive, Will, the In oh, Your House pay-per-view from the month before. Okay, great. That's right. So this is a time when they're, they're, they just started doing, probably in, I think in 95, when they started doing pay-per-views every month. And so, well, in your house buried alive. First thing I noticed when I watched that show is that um, there is no in your house house there for the set. Uh, they have a they have like graveyard gates. It's a very simple set with graveyard gates, and they have the buried alive. You know, there's a there's a pile of dirt. But uh, <laughs> they got their their trademark pile of dirt. Uh, very Halloweeny. I like that Halloweeny. Perhaps Big time. a l- little bit havocky. Uh, Matt, if I may, mm. it mm. actually will. If you put a Halloween Havoc thing over top of it, and you put a grave, like a couple more gravestones around, that's a hundred percent fully a WCW set. I would argue, like it would be perfect. Picturing that zombie guy, uh, kind of yeah. logo they had holding up the Slim Jims uh, thing, yes. was he? Yeah, uh, on, from, on Reve- uh, the Revenge Game, right? Yeah, yeah, of course, hundred percent, absolutely, yeah, of course. 
Absolutely. And so, yeah, the main event of that pay- of that pay-per-view was the eponymous first ever buried alive match between the Undertaker and Mankind. Um, well, did you know the Undertaker won that match? Did he? Yes, he won. He wins the match. He buries Mankind alive, but then he quickly gets ambushed by a figure called the Executioner and a by bunch the of other executioner. heels. And then they bury him alive. So this is one of those things where there's a couple times tonight where I have these kind of Mandela effect moments where uh, right. and I don't subscribe to kind of the dumb parts of the Mandela effect thing where it's like, oh, it's alternate universes or something. It's like, no, no. Oh, the Mandela cool, effect is? is a good... <laughs> I would. Oh, let's go hang on there. Um, Bret Hart doesn't uh, get screwed. Uh, ooh, I, mean, that's, I want to see what happens there. But it's more like, hey, did you know your memory's wrong? Or there's different things that kind of happen in your memory and this is why. Because Undertaker does get buried alive. He just doesn't lose that way first. Uh, I always remember... I just remembered it as he gets in by the execution gets buried alive. He loses and everything like that. But... Because yeah. a buried alive match would be no disqualification. It never makes any sense to me when the heel comes out to like beat somebody up after the match. It's like, well, let's make sure this is a fair contest first, and then I'll come and jump him. I think the whole time is like one heel backstage being like, no, really, I think we should kick his ass. And it's like, I don't know, I'm not convinced yet. And he's just like slowly gathering support for people, and then it's like, ah, oh, he just won. Ah, oh, let's go. Yeah, that's, that's a bridge too far. Let's get him. So they fully fill up the grave, and then as the show's going off the air, a purple-gloved fist breaks out of the ground. And re- Ooh, super it, short, right? I think there's some lightning as well. Yeah. The show was off the air. Now, also on that show. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> Psycho Man. Sid. Psycho Sid beat Vader to become the number one contender for the WWF championship, which was weirdly not defended on that show at all. Uh, John just wasn't in the house. Well, he was there for house. that match. He was there for the Psycho Sid Vader match. He was there. Right. And uh, well, then we were told that Bret Hart would be around on Raw the next night. He'll be and around. He's going to be around. around. He's, he's, he's be back for the first time. He's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They yeah, would they shot the next four episodes there? So uh, yeah, I'm going to share some more relevant context for folks as we uh, kind of go up th- throughout the show here. Uh, also, I got to say the old in your house interviews. I mean, when they're not absolutely terrible, they're pretty watchable because they're only an hour and fifty minutes long. Yeah, I mean, that, you that was about a premium event. That was part of the gimmick too. It's like we're going to give you an extra pay per view now instead of the big four, which became the big five, and it's going to be a little bit cheaper and it's only two hours long. And yep. uh, that's why they call it In Your House. And they gave away a house uh, on the first uh, iteration of this pay-per-view. And then NXT brought it back years later because, of course, they did. Yeah, it was and it's, it was great. And everybody liked it. That yeah, you jumped off the house onto a bunch of people. It was awesome. So uh, we are covering the Survivor Series 1996. It aired November 17th, 1996. It was live on pay-per-view. It, the location was Madison Square Garden in New mm. York City. Familiar with the building, yes. Yes. The attendance was 18,647 of about 18,500. That's actually more. So we can say it's a pretty clean sellout. I also got to say, I appreciate when the Wikipedia articles for arenas specifically gave a wrestling attendance size. Yeah, and especially Madison Square Garden would have that. Yeah. Yeah. But it would have like a, probably because the stage is, is so small, it's just like that one like tunnel that they have i guess the, it's like the, yeah it's like a zamboni tunnel right it's like it, it's almost everything else is completely covered with uh with seating yeah I, I love these old madison square garden pay-per-views with the ramp behind them and uh it's got the cool like new york city skyline and the thing and it's uh it's it's always a, a good time and it was a good time right up until uh let's see survivor series 2012 was the rock and john cena against r-truth and miz so that was when they renovated it and they had a big stage uh, oh, and then yeah. Rus- like, re- like we can go back WrestleMania 20, they had a stage and they had that gate was a, was a screen, right? Yeah. And I think I just, I just watched WrestleMania too. 20 the other, the other day. Yeah. So they, uh, 
Oh, and the Survivor Series uh, 2002 as well was just that gate. Anyway, that, that's yep. a little more more modern. Every time they go there now, unfortunately, Madison Square Garden looks like anywhere else. You, you can only tell it's MSG when you look at the ceiling. Right. Um, that's why they spend a lot of time. looking at the ceiling tonight. Yeah, that's right. They could be like, hey, I know exactly where I am. This is great. Um, so well, let's talk about the good folks at Madison Square Garden saw before the show. Uh, this is what we this is what we're going to talk about the various dark matches before the show. This is right. also a time uh, when Raw and even some pay per views would have multiple dark matches at the end of the show. Like Buried Alive had after uh, Undertaker's hand reached the earth and they went off the air. There was a tag match afterward, and then Shawn Michaels defended his world title against Goldust, even though Goldust fought for the Intercontinental title earlier that night. It's bizarre. Okay, they would, I but guess. honestly, well, they would do multiple. They would keep doing the show for like forty or fifty minutes after the. Well, uh, I guess if in your house is only two hours, you wouldn't want to go out for just a two-hour show. I guess they want to ex- exceed three. And they, they want to give the paying audience their money's worth. I suppose that's oh, um, that, that, that's to be commended. I think. I think so. Uh, and so uh, yeah, before the pay-per-views of this era, they had something called the free-for-all, which was uh, unlike the pay-per-view to pay for. Pre-show was, say it with me now, it was free for all. The free for all, right, right, right. Not the yeah. same as brawl for all, of course. Yes, a little different. Uh, this paper, I believe, was also, um, it's a major one, so I think it was like 30 bucks US, I think, maybe 40 in Canada, I think is what it usually was. Maybe 45, I don't remember exactly the pricing for that. I wasn't privy so, to the cable bill back in 1996. I was about to turn eight. Right. You still could have made money, you lazy slob. Listen, that's, that's the problem true. with the kids nowadays. This was the era where I watched a pay-per-view at somebody's, like, house every month. Like, I, yeah. I don't think I watched SummerSlam, but I did watch In Your House Mind Games at our house for my birthday, 12th birthday. Right. I know I you went to watch, go, I like, remember you going to see It's Time, because I remember talking about it, like, the next day or something. I had a very clear, clear yeah. memory of, like, because that no, was back then, I'm like, we'll saw the pay-per-view. Oh, what was it like? Tell me all about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the pay-per-view like? I the I'm seven. Please tell me what my 12-year-old brother is doing. I'm sure you were really excited to explain to a 7-year-old what a pay-per-view happened. What it's all like. Sure. You know, if you're into it. I mean, this is so also a time where, like, my favorite wrestler was, like, yep. Mark Merrow. So what do I know? Hey, Wild Man was pretty fun here. Um, he, was, he was fun. Yeah. I think I just had a big crush on Sable is the only reason. But I, I enjoyed both <laughs> Fair of them. Enough. Uh, I mean, after everything Sunny says in the show about her, I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> So on the free-for-all. <laughs> we'll talk about Sunny. On the free-for-all, we had a match. It was Aldo Montoya, just incredible, Bart right. Gunn, Bob okay. Hawley, Harker Hawley, and yeah. Jesse James, Road Dog, defeated Billy Gunn, Justin Bradshaw, JBL, Salvatore yeah. Sincere, and the Sultan, Rikishi, with Bart Gunn as the sole survivor. This is kind of like Sultan days after the, okay. the smoking guns broke up. They broke up, okay. But there was, yeah. they didn't break up on Raw, did they? I think they did. Raw Superstars. Oh, maybe I, maybe I missed it. They had some it. conflict there, yeah. Bill, what Billy a bunch was... of crazy characters. Aldo Montoya, the Sultan, Salvatore Sincere. Like, you kidding me, pal? I mean, wow. No, Sincere. <laughs> All right, in any event. Uh, sorry. Yeah, in any event, let's talk about Survivor Series 1996. my Vince McMahon transitions. Oh, man. We can, a lot of times to talk about it tonight. Oh, so man, will we yes. begin... <laughs> An announcer says, the Big Apple, the city that yeah. never sleeps. Oh, yeah. Just like, okay, cool. Let's just go through the, like, like a pizza pie, the borough. Like, <laughs> just talk about everything that was New York generic kind of thing you Ellis possibly Ellis Island. <laughs> the Yankees. Give us your weak, your tired, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free from Psycho Sid. He's got his eyes set <laughs> Mr. Met. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Exactly. Met. Uh, Heartbreak yeah, Kid is going to kick Mr. Met right in the face. 
WWF is taking over uh, New York City this weekend. They're on radio shows. They even show us that. The, the Hall of Fame happened the, the night very before. very opening of the show. Yeah. It's like they're like th- – there's a lot of like bragging that they do. The World oh, Wrestling yeah. Federation does, of course, because they have to, right? And, and a lot of talking about like – a lot of – um. So, you know, the show we just covered, a lot of brand loyalty, right? SmackDown Raw, of course. Yeah. This is a lot of company loyalty. Like Jim yes. Ross talks about, like, the athleticism of the WWF. You're only going to get this in WWF. Vince, obviously, <laughs> really towing the company line. His line, dude. Yeah. It's, it is it is very interesting to see how that dynamic works in more of an existential threat situation where they're like, we need to keep being good or else. Uh, or else you're on the billionaire in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, there's also tonight. There's gonna be uh, Shawn Michaels versus Sid, Psycho Sid, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, our guy, uh, Undertaker versus Mankind. There's also the, the Survivor Series matches, baby. Uh, and then uh, we go inside, we to the building there. Chiron simply reads the Garden, and we're live there with where we are standing there with Vince McMahon, Jerry the King Lawler, and Jim Ross. And they welcome us, and we get right into our first match. The first match is him. <clears throat> we run, let me run down like 15 guys. Oh here. boy, this is yeah. Owen Hart, the, the British Bulldog, and the New Rockers, which is Leaf Cassidy and Marty Jannetty. Who's Leaf Cassidy? I'll Snow. Okay, good. Uh, and they're going up against Doug Furness, Philip LaFon, and the Godwins. That's Henry O and Phineas I with Hillbilly Jim. This is a traditional eight-man Survivor Series elimination tag match. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we, <laughs> the first thing we see, Will, we see the ring. It's a classic WWF ring. It has blue turbuckle oh. pads with the gold WWF outline logo and red, white, and blue ropes. So what a sight to behold. What a sight like, to behold. It looks like what you would have uh, with uh, you know Hulk Hogan. It just looks the exact same as it ever did. Um, have they ever done it, Will, where they come, they do this again, where they have it, and they, but they have like WWE-ized logos with the w, that kind of gold WF? Remember how they've done that? Like they did yeah, they've done, they've done raw throwbacks okay, with uh, the WWE logo on there, red, white, and blue robes. They would do like the new generation era apron with like the angled um, WWE uh, for them logos do you know yeah. what i mean where it's like the two so. red ones and one white one like like for yeah, monday yeah. night like for monday night raw and they would do make like a little tiny monday night raw like the raw they did that for the 25 year anniversary uh in new york Gosh. they did like half the show there and half the show at the at the ballroom uh right. so of course they have and they've had like yes, wwe good. microphones on and they would do like the little talking um box of like you know, this things. is what Kofi Kingston had to say earlier. You know, they should do that anyway. I think that'd be a good idea. It's fun, uh, and they actually do that ne- like on Raw. Like currently, they'll actually will do that. Like, let's talk to the Viking Raiders, and here they are, like a little box of them as they're like getting ready in the ring because they're just like, hey, what's old is new again. That worked before. Honestly, um, in my notes, will I wrote uh, Leaf Cassidy is Al Snow, Marty Jannetty is Marty Jannetty. <laughs> he he definitely is. Yeah, and then this is a is am I right? This is a, a WWF debut for Doug Furness and Phil Fon. That's right. It's a we're told uh, these guys have been wrestling in all Japan pro wrestling. They actually just came from ECW, so uh, they were most recently wrestling wrestling in Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, JR remarks that Furnace is an Oklahoman and that Lafon is French Canadian, uh, which is a real combination. Not Tex Mex. It's Oklahoma Quebecois, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little. You had a confused look on your face for a second, Will. No, they, they they say he's French Canadian at the onset, and then later on the show they keep mentioning he's from Paris, France. You really? notice that with Philip Lafon? Yeah, they're just absolutely wrong about it. Anytime Philip or Doug are in the ring, uh, a couple times this happens. They get a little ECW chant there from the really wow uh, baby. Uh, this is so interesting. There's so many like really like zygote 
things that happen in this show to me where it's like that must have been one of the first like ECW chants because they had a partnership with them for a while, right? Okay, we're gonna see it throughout this uh, through this this it's, year. It's throughout this year, okay. And there's mm-hmm. isn't there in a partnership with AAA or something at some point around Royal Rumble? Yes. Okay, yes. not to get too yeah, ahead of us, but like now, lots absolutely. of partnerships. Vince is and Smoky Mountain, obviously. Vince is, has uh, has corny there, and and know. Memphis is there's all sorts of uh, and Memphis, a, yeah. Brett, I think U- Brett USWA Nolan, is a, t- a developmental territory, and yeah, Brett absolutely. Nolan went to Memphis for a time uh, and did some matches that he really wasn't looking forward to, and then they did him because he isn't like the Memphis style wrestling. He likes the Calgary style. He likes the Minnesota style. He 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 remarked that most of the best like wrestlers come from Minnesota, like Rick Rude and Kurt Henning and uh, the AWA you know, stuff. Yeah, the AWA stuff. He he likes that style better. It's more real for him. He doesn't like Memphis. He finds it too is is he remarks in the book constantly. He he finds it too phony. He even found like WWF wrestling too phony. And uh, you know you can understand this is back in the Hulk Hogan era where you know Macho Man would hit him with a, a finishing elbow drop and Hulk Hogan would just stand up and start shaking. That's it, <sighs> Hulk. Yeah, what a, what, what what a thing to do. Uh, and so, yeah, so we have, yeah, Furnace and LaFon, uh, barely even hyped before this, as far as I could tell from my, uh, Those research guys that I who did. Are here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're just guys, and, uh, we'll see where that goes. Now, JR says that the Godwins, their partners, uh, were a crucial part of Bill Clinton getting reelected because they're both from Arkansas. So, <laughs> topical humor here. Um, I will say also... <laughs> Halfway through this match, I was like, they're calling Furnace LaFon and LaFon Furnace. They have this screwed up. And then I thought, hmm, I'm going to do some Googling. It turns out I had it screwed up. So I, at one point, I had to go back through my notes and change who I thought was Furnace and who I thought was LaFon. Doug Furnace is the guy with the long hair, right? He's a power lifter, very strong guy. Philip LaFon looks like a guy who put on tights and who <laughs> is kind of strong. He kind of looks like Nunzio, right? Like, there's a little bit of he like. Looks, he, uh, looks like a big, he looks like a bigger Nunzio. I'll, I'll say this uh, to, to, to spoil the ending, but like you hear like, all right, here's the debut of Doug Furnace and Phil Lafon in the WWF for the opening contest of Survivor Series 96. Like it doesn't sound very exciting. They're actually quite, I mean, more than capable. Like oh they're gosh, actually yeah, quite they're... good. They pull out some very interesting what maneuvers for Vince to uh, not comment on. <laughs> they're called to not explain it all whatsoever. Not explain it all. Oh, what a maneuver. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking. I found here we go. I found a WWF Titan Sports eight by ten photo of D- Philip Lafon and Doug Furness. Yeah, uh, wearing where Doug Furness has USA on his little blue tights, and uh, Philip Lafon has a Canada fly uh, logo, or, or I guess yeah, fly, so he's Canadian. And yeah. they do have matching gear. They're both wearing like dark trunks yep. with a red boot and a white boot. Um, which you know, I wonder if what they choice. have the same shoe size. And one day they're just like, hey, what if we wear? Hey, hey, what if we like switch boots? Like, oh yeah. This is cool. I bet they look great. I bet oh, they look go. great. And it it kind of doesn't, but uh, they're quite capable is what I'll say. Yeah. So uh, LaFon, he gets in there. He beats up on the new rockers. He's got his technical prowess, right? He's showing off the potential he and Furnace have. Uh, they do run into some injury problems. Uh, it could have been anywhere from like pretty good to amazing. The funny thing is, I'm pretty sure we're going to cover their first and last match in WWF because they also wrestle at Survivor Series 1997, uh, even though there's a bunch of time in between where they're not around. I was gonna say they're around, they're around the whole year. I guess they're just kind of like uh, in there for a couple of cup, cups of coffee in the big time, as uh, one wrestler would say. Yeah. Uh, so they yeah a little bit of injury uh, stuff derailed in there. Uh, there's a t- there's a moment where the camera zoomed in on Phineas Godwin, and then from across the screen you see a bunch of cotton candy float by on a stick, and it's uh, one of these co- cotton candy vendors in Madison Square Garden. These big, almost Christmas trees cotton of cotton candy stick. thing where. Which I really want to go back and find out how much those were. And of course, I'm like, 
you know, I could go for some cotton candy right now. It's hard, but it's hard also when you're at home. Uh, you know, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night, and you're kind of like, I'm at home. Where can I get cotton candy right now? You know, <laughs> you have, it. You have, the, have a little container of it, but you got to get it while the getting's good, man. It's hard to come by otherwise. I just don't, I don't frequent enough carnivals. That's my problem. No, I'm yeah, not, you're I'm not, not carny enough, brother. Bruce Other. Uh, Martin Chinetti wrestles without knee pads. I think it looks weird with his singlet. He kind of looks like an old timey weightlifter. Uh, this kind of a little bit of, uh, uh, kind of some, uh, bruiser weight, Pete Dunn vibes with the uh, singlet with no uh, knee pads on Marty Jannetty. Oh yeah, it's a strange uh, look. The current Butch. Uh, I'll say Marty doesn't look good here. There's a spot where he either like tweaks a knee or hurts a knee and just like starts botching left, right, and center. There's some, some kind of miscommunication happens somewhere in the middle of this thing. Probably, probably experiencing a lot of pain if it's going to be enough to kind of throw him off his gar- his game. Probably is my guess. Yeah, yeah. They try like an Irish yeah. whip that just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's ah, awkward. Yeah, because you, you see some wrestling matches like this match is boring. But if you're like, if you see a true disaster, you're like, oh, that boring match was them cooperating but not really getting anywhere with it. As opposed to times where you're like, oh wow, things have gone really, really badly. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising. Uh, I have to point out that this is when Jr. is like, he's cranky. Because yeah. he is essentially a heel commentator right now. Vince McMahon uh, is just a regular guy who they openly state is also the owner of WWF multiple times on the show, even though yeah, that's not Steve really discussed in, in detail. Steve mentions it. Yeah. It comes up. Uh, so Vince is running play-by-play. He's just kind of your – I mean, he's – if you've ever heard him, if you've ever heard him, he's a very uh, he's, amusing he's at his, guy. He's at his Vince mcmahon tonight. Yeah. I mean, he says what a maneuver about 5,000 times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, – Jerry Lawler is providing color as well. He's kind of providing like, one-liners in a way. He, and I, but he's like, he's on this match for like two seconds because he's got his own match later. Yeah, he's like, I gotta go, McMahon, and he just like leaves, takes and, off, uh, and then we have a couple of great guests on commentary tonight that join oh, they come in to the join uh, Ross, but. Um, yeah, Ross. and then so Ross is kind of like it's heel commentator, but he's kind of being he's being kind of insightful. He's he's trying to he's doing his best. What if um, Jesse Ventura, but by way of Oklahoma, in a way. He's pointing things out that are dumb. Ross missing stuff left and right tonight. I think he's great. Well, okay, we should mention, too, they have two refs for these Survivor Series matches. One ref is in the ring, Jack Doan. The other is outside. It's Harvey Whippleman, and Mm -hmm. Ross calls him out every single time. He's like, we got two refs. What is Harvey doing? There's, like, so much, like, obviously interference with the heel teams and all that stuff, and... Harvey just is responsible for for sending people to the back, I guess. Yeah, he's essentially he's or he's kind of like on the other side, and he's kind of being like, "Hey, hey!" He's like waving his arms, like, "Hey, stop doing that!" Like it's if you ever seen a referee look kind of helpless in a match, he's even more so when he's outside the ring and just kind of like being like, "Hey, you quit that!" Out there on uh, the floor, yeah, yeah. Uh, Marty Jannetty gets slop dropped by Henry Godwin. That's a reverse DDT. He gets eliminated, uh, but then yeah. Henry takes. Well, I, I I don't have exactly the best word for this. Owen Hart used this as kind of like an impact finisher sort of thing where he does a running spinning kick to the face. Yeah, like a spinning heel kick, right? Yeah, it's a spinning – although it's I, it's a little different from what I think of as a spinning heel kick. But it's good. It connects, and he takes out Henry Goblin that way. So we're down to three on three. Yeah. Uh, then Phineas Goblin gets power slammed by Bulldog and eliminated. Uh, I believe earlier Phineas was described as 400 pounds, but then when he lifts uh, – gets lifted up by Bulldog, he's 300 pounds. Um, I don't know if it's some sort of thinner thing, or, if, or also don't know why Jr. is making him thinner as the sh- as it's like less impressive for him to get lifted up. It's like, yeah, oh. he should be getting bigger. He also mentions Phineas is six seven. I'm like, oh, 
He's a big guy. That's a big guy. Uh, Owen Hart here, He get, at one point he gets a really clean-looking perfect plex, of all things, on Doug yeah, Furness. Yeah, a beautiful uh, bridge. Beautiful bridge. That only gets two. This is also a time where Mr. Perfect is around, by the way. Uh, he he just came a, back. He showed up and buried alive. He's not going to be around for very long, but he's uh, he, he, he feigned being involved with Triple H in a feud, and then he ended up uh, siding with Triple H. So we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, Brett uh, loves Perfect, by the way. Oh, nice. Loves well, that guy. He, sh- he should, yeah. Uh, British Bulldog gets a big delayed vertical suplex on Furnace, and then he does a forward handspring to show off. He's like this flipping handspring forward. You're like, okay, wow. Pretty uh, remarkable Bulldog. for a guy his size, oh you know. Bulldog, man. I'm really, I'm glad we can talk about him because there's a lot to dig in with him. Uh, and uh, oh, kind of a tragic story on his own right. Um, very, very, thing, very much so, yeah. I'm, also, I'm watching this match, and I'm like, Heel JR is like kind of complaining about things. I'm like, you know – He's actually not that different from like current JR in AEW, who is ostensibly a face, but sometimes just declares that some things that wrestlers are, wrestlers are doing are dumb, even though he's yeah. a good guy. Oh, he, he does it all the time. Yeah. He just, la- he just lapses into it. And you're kind of like, oh, weird. <laughs> it's fun to hear him be like almost unintentionally heelish in AEW sometimes the same way. Well, I wonder what their interaction is at, at the announce table. There are some a lot of dead spots in commentary, and we know from like Vince basically has a switch at his oh, desk, yeah. and he switches between commentating and the back so he's always like calling a show uh whether we can hear it or not so there's like a couple of dead spots in commentary so you don't know if Vince is uh talking to the back or if they're taking a break or if he's saying something to jr because we know too that up until uh like last year uh, a couple months ago Vince was uh running the show and he was in Michael Cole's ear the whole time he was in uh, uh Jimmy's ear the whole time I'm wondering if he's doing this sitting next to Jr. Because Jr. seems to have like some carte blanche here as well. Like he just he's oh, yeah. kind of allowed to say whatever he wants and doesn't have to 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 work with it in any sort of parameters. I love Jr. here. I love heel Jr. He's saying everything makes everything he says makes perfect sense. Uh, it's it's great. I think he's yeah. awesome. Uh, it's better than what they did last month, which is for the first few matches they just had his his microphone cut out until he f- f- flipped out and left. Uh, which right, was just annoying. Yeah. And, like, there's a whole match where he just steps on a, a, St- a, St- a Stone Cold Steve Austin Triple H match. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. Right, um, yeah. That, that That's always annoying whenever Vince did a commentary thing. Like, you cannot watch WWE in, like, 2010-11 with Michael Cole as a heel because he's just so annoying. It's unwatchable. Yeah, yeah it's too bad. Uh, so back to the action here. Uh, Philip Buffon gets what I would call, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, Will, Yeah. second rope reverse T-bone suplex on Leaf Cassidy. No, uh, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I can tell you. What is it? What a maneuver. It is what a maneuver. You essentially, you're forcing <laughs> the other guy to do a moonsault by throwing him, which I like. Uh, it's in- something that the Hart Foundation did when when uh, uh, Jim would pick up Brett and have him, like, slowly moonsault on the other guy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good similar. I but similar, never... yeah. Really cool, yeah. really cool move. It's one of those moves that I can literally, I can say, I've never seen it before or since. And it's yeah. Just, it's just strange to be like, okay, that's... It happened once in a magical night and a fall uh, evening in 1996. So Chris that, fall evening in New York City. That is, that is enough to put the future uh, Al Snow away. Ah. Um, JR starts to complain about how Bulldog kicked one of the faces low, or one of the, uh, yeah, is that one of the faces? Yeah, he'd be on the heel side. Yeah, big faces. Um, that's where he points out that Harvey Whippleman uh, is messing up there. Um, yeah, a lot of low blows that just aren't DQs in this show. Yeah. Like, at all. Like, now, like, re- modern wrestling, it's, like, immediate. But now it's just like, yeah, kick him in the nuts. The ref's like, hey, none of that, please. Can you not? Can you not? Could you not? 
That'd be great. Uh, LaFon gets a kind of sunset flip on Bulldog, and he gets eliminated. So Bulldog is gone. So now it's just Owen versus Furnace and LaFon right now, which is already telling you what you think of these new guys. Yeah. And so Owen locks a sharpshooter on LaFon. Uh, he gets out of it. He kicks Owen Hart with kind of this, the the way that RVD does a reverse enziguri, where instead of uh, like he grabs your leg instead of kicking with the uh, the top of your right foot, you kind of like turn backward and hit him with a, your heel. I was like, oh, hit him with the sole sole of your boot. And yeah. uh, Ross loves this. He's like, what? <laughs> He's like, that's awesome. He kicked right, him in the great. face. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he tags in Furnace. Vince calls him the powerhouse. He's a very nice drop kick on Owen Fall, but it's very crisp belly to belly, and you're kind of like, damn, this guy's like these guys can move. Uh, yeah, and then Furnace flips Furnace flips Owen all the way over with a German suplex, possibly hits him on his head a little bit, and he pins him, leaving Furnace and Lafon as the survivors for their team. Mm-hmm. And uh, tag so team champions, boom, boom. Right, and so here's the thing. So obviously, it'd be kind of amazing these guys were around in like 2003, and they could have wrestled like other guys on SmackDown. These like great technical wrestlers would be amazing. This is also Would've a very interesting. This is an interesting show because I feel like this is WWF is resetting a lot of stuff here. They're a debuting lot of debuts. people. They're a putting lot people of over big on two yeah. different occasions. They give people new gear, like new outfits. So they they call out. They say oh, that person's wearing a new new outfit. Yeah, um, they're, they're moving some titles around. Uh, Bret Hart is back, and so there's there's a big reset that's kind of happening here, and it's really interesting to see it happen in the show because. Sometimes you have pay per views, you're kind of like, that was good. It's not that there's no new status quo, but this feels like a time. No, uh, like your point, Will, where if this is the puberty that WF is going through, which is sometimes awkward at a time, this is like a big pimple happening there. Or maybe. Uh, <laughs> big pimple in the big apple. Or the, or the sprouts are starting to come out of the armpit. Ah, yeah. Right? Hair, a little bit there. It wasn't here before. Yeah, of course. Trying Voices to keep are the kind of getting reference. lower. Yeah. They're getting <laughs> smellier, of course, you know? Yeah. yeah. Thank you for do- doing the hand gesture there. So. Uh, yeah, that's our opener, um, which is kind of, I had a good time with it. It was a good time. Did you enjoy it, Will? Uh, yeah, it was cool to see these guys, uh, although these these are hard to watch in retrospect. You're like, wow, what town? This is amazing. I've never seen them in anything else. Or yeah, I don't yeah. know what else they're going to do. So. Can't wait to see what they do, and you're like, well, yeah, we're not going to see them. It was we're, cool. No, I mean, really. the new rockers can obviously shag off, and uh, the the Godwins have never been a draw for me. They had no. to edit out their music. I guess you can't do the "Don't Go Messing with the Country Boy" on uh, the WWE Network because they they covered their music with some kind of like, wee, 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 like wee, just wee, random, wee, yeah, yeah, just some uh, generic uh, uh, fiddle music, music. Kind of thing. But but again, like these these gimmicks, like Vince, like oh, I know what I'll have these big uh, guys from the South be. They're gonna be hog farmers. Henry O. Godwin. And Phineas I. Godwin, Hog and Pig, Phineas. you get it? Hillbilly Jim, why don't you come up and manage these guys? There we go. Easy. Easy thing. And they stick together as a team for, like, surprisingly long time. They even have a – they changed their gimmick a little bit here at one point. They do change Southern Justice. Like 98, yeah. Yeah. And Phineas sticks around for an oddly long time. Yeah, no kidding. And so we go to the back, and uh, the current oh, yeah. New Japan English commentator Kevin Kelly is in the bowels of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> He's the Mankind and Paul Bearer. He tells us that Paul is supposed to be put in a little cage above the ring, but Paul Bearer is not into that. He's oh, like, no, man. I'm not going to do it. Um, this is when Hydra, was, Hydra China, yeah. by the way, when, when Paul Bearer speaks. Hydra Fine oh, China. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> the voice is high and he's shattering stuff. It's, it's unbelievably true. high. Um, this is back when Mankind was just a weirdo in a leather mask wearing all brown. This is like, There's no fun uh, Mick Foley-ness to it yet. He's just strange. So just to give people kind of context he's for that. He's not so the good at the character, shirt. though. Oh, it's crazy. You know, Mankind, you know, Mankind the character came, like, basically, you know, 
he's, he's a, a psycho. He, he can't feel any more pain because of all like the real pain he's felt in his life from, you know, crazy barbed wire flame matches with uh, Terry Funk and lost his ear in Munich. And so he's, he's just figured he's gross. Vince is like, well, all right, we'll hire him. Damn it. We'll, we'll I want to cover his face. So he puts this cool mask over his face. And basically mankind is like the tenacious, uh, heel that uh will come after you and lose every time kind of like a bray wyatt really uh kind of like sure. odd character is just like oh he's threatening but you you'll beat him don't worry and then he eventually transfers that into like a um you know he becomes a couple of different characters obviously that we'll see in this on the run of this podcast but yeah. then he just become when he becomes mankind again he becomes like the kind of plucky underdog baby face <laughs> it's just like come on win one for the micker you know people love him uh, but this is, yeah, no, no, nothing fun about this, except that he's awesome in the role. Oh, big time. Uh, and and uh, he's had a, a series of good matches with The Undertaker, uh, which yeah. we're going to have now. We go to the ring, and there's a small black cage in the middle of the ring. I think it's often called a shark cage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often used that way. Yeah, I never gonna... got the shark cage gimmick. I really will, they I don't... will tell you that. The thing they don't do here, which they make very clear in other places that I've seen it, is that they'll put the manager in the shark cage of the ring, and if the other guy wins the match, he gets five minutes with the manager. Like that's, that's kind of the right. idea. They, he doesn't interfere, kinda, and he also yeah. gets yeah. And you get like five minutes alone. <laughs> you imagine like five minutes. A five minute beatdown would take so long in wrestling. Um, it like works Paul Bear's ankle. You know, gets him in the uh, I don't know uh, uh, around the post uh, figure four. It really works the leg. Uh, they they don't explain it here, but that is kind of what happens at the end of this match. Spoiler alert. Yes, that's right. And so this match is Mankind with Paul Bear going up against The Undertaker with Paul Bear in a cage above the ring. And so um, I was I was like, huh, this match is kind of going on early. But then, then I looked, there's only six matches on the show. Yeah. And essentially it goes eight-man tag, one-on-one match, eight-man tag, mm-hmm. big one-on-one yeah. match, eight-man tag, big one-on-one match. Like that's, that's all it is. Yeah. And uh, Paul Bear, before he went out, he said, I don't want to get in the cage. He's in the ramp. He's, I think, in the, in the ramp. He's like, oh, I'm not getting in that cage. No, he's Very he's adamant. He's adamant about not getting in this cage. I won't he's, do it. He's shaking his head. His chin's going left, right, and center. Well, his face goes right, left, and center. You know, it's all over the place. <laughs> uh, uh, and the Undertaker, just to be clear, yeah, buried alive last month. We haven't seen him since. Uh, and JR points out the Undertaker debuted on at Survivor Series six years ago. It's like, wow, Undertaker, six years. What a career. Unbelievable. What a veteran. What a, what a what a veteran for the WWF. And so the Undertaker's music hits, the lights go down, and the Undertaker descends from the rafter, rafters rather, with bat wings like you do. We've all done it before. We've all come <laughs> like down Gene from an area. He's oh, got the yeah, Gene Simmons time. top knot. He's got like the demon wings, and he's got a whole new whole new garb, whole new outfit. That's right. It's a new Undertaker. He's, new, he stops new wearing attitude. purple. He moves to an almost exclusively black outfit. He also has a teardrop painted below his eye, which I suppose means he killed a guy in prison. Uh, although right. I don't know if they ever actually explained what happened. He he died in prison. It was himself. Uh, and so Undertaker gets into the ring, and Paul Bear flees into the cage on his own. Uh, and so, yeah, Mankind attacks Undertaker. They go out of the ring. This is where JR points out the Undertaker's gear is new. He's wearing all black. Uh, leather, kind of yeah. Leather. And what an easy thing to wrestle in. Something I noticed here between this and watching the Raws that led up to this, Will, is that I'm like, okay, Taker wearing all black is a lot like Steve Austin saying ass to me. It's like signs of what's to come because this is a time where Steve Austin on Raw will be like, look, I'm going to kick his ass. And then immediately yeah. you hear Vince McMahon go, okay, all right. Like, just kinda like, what a, like 
Like, oh, well, Brett had to say ass on his show. He's like, oh, you go kick my oh, ass. I'll say it, you know. Yeah, he's, he's really uh, didn't didn't want to. But yeah. he's like, all right, come on now. Yeah. That's right. And so at one point here, Taker gets an arm bar. And I'm like, like like a pro, like a full-on MMA style. Taker's like, wrestling. Okay. He's wrestling in this match. JR points it out, too. He's like, I'm seeing a lot of wrestling out of the Undertaker tonight. That's right. It's, he's, he's working the hand, which is something that Shawn Michaels did when he faced Mankind at Mind Games in September. Essentially, like, Mankind, he has the mandible claws as finisher. It's when he puts the middle two fingers of his, I suppose, right hand. Uh, into your mouth and he puts it under your tongue and he presses it really hard and it kind of knocks you out or hurts you i guess and holds you you foam with the mouth they got away from the foam i think they used to do the foam thing but they they that's right i forgot about the foam that's interesting well uh and so often you would either get knocked out or sometimes he would pin you i believe in um video games like uh, no mercy that would be a pin uh and it was a very interesting kind of dynamic there uh, and you couldn't bite his fingers because of the way he was holding your mouth. Just to be clear, people are like, why don't you bite the fingers? You couldn't because the way he holds your mouth, it hurts and you can't do it. Also, it might be because he's felt so much pain in his life that if you bit his fingers, it wouldn't hurt him because he has such a high tolerance. Yeah, good point. That's true, too. He'd probably be like, cool, good, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they fight into the crowd for a little mm-hmm. bit here. Very nice 96, I guess. Uh, and oh, yeah. Undertaker back body drops mankind back into the ringside area. And then mankind, Nick mankind? takes some like awful, not awful looking bumps, but like some like pretty stiff bumps here, even on the pads. It's some rough stuff, and I'm watching it, Will, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, well, like I guess you do this every month, and then on Raw you take it a little bit easier, and you but, like yeah. on a paper you just like get your ass kicked, like yeah. Man, mankind even does he does a flipping senton on to take her from the outs onto the like on the outside, which is kind of nuts to see that. Yeah. Kind of like what is this AW or something like that. Um, <laughs> And then we also see at one point Undertaker grabs Mankind's mandible claw hand and he bites it. Uh, oh, he bites so the never fingers mind. of it. My my theory's out the window. Okay, you're right. Which is what? If you bit his fingers, it wouldn't hurt him. Now it does. Right. But it is funny because you're kind of like, well, what's the difference between the Undertaker biting Mankind's fingers on purpose and Undertaker taking a mandible claw? It's not clear. Right. Right. <laughs> so, sure. uh, Man- yeah. Mankind For counters reasons. the Undertaker though, and he does a pile driver. He does kind of. W- w- Essentially, it's a classic McFoley pile driver where he grabs on the Undertaker's tights and belts and just kind of like the lifts him and driver. pulls him back. And he yeah. plants the dead man with a pile driver. Uh, then a mandible claw is attempted but countered. A chokeslam is countered. A tombstone pile driver is countered into a mandible claw. But Mankind gets flipped through the ropes by Taker and he lands outside the ring. Uh, and uh, Mankind, then this is okay, here's something that's kind of crazy. So Mankind is outside the ring, Taker is kind of sitting uh, on the apron. Uh, but still in the ring because he's like behind the ropes. And so Mankind pulls on Taker's legs, but Taker holds on, and Mankind flies backward, and he hits the back of his head on some very real, very steel barricades. And you're like, yeah, oh, does. that's oh just God. like if you were a guy and you're going to your basement and you forgot to duck on the step and you just cracked it on a steel thing. Like that's where you stood up too fast. It hit the back yeah. of your head, right? If you stood y- yes. up too fast so when you're working on the car or something. Yeah, like rough, rough stuff. Man, it looked very painful. Undertaker in the ring hits the rope walk, which JR deems vintage Undertaker in 1996. Hey, nice. 1996 is considered vintage <laughs> Undertaker. And you're like, wow, right. okay, that is, that is vintage for like almost 25 years on its own. That's good stuff. Taker grabs a choke slam again, but Mankind counters with a mandible claw, and Taker fades, and he fades, and his arm gets lifted and dropped once, then twice, and then he rallies or hulks up, however you want to think of it. And he grabs mm-hmm. a choke slam and he manages to draw, hit a choke slam on mankind. 
And so Taker, uh, he goes for a dive. He misses it. He lands outside the ring. And so Mankind goes for another flipping senton, but he just li- he just flips off the apron, and Taker just moves, and he just lands on the mats. He just flips yep. and hits back first, and it looks rough. Yeah, it does. Yeah, even on those blue pads, it, it looks it's very like very thudding. Yes. And then Mankind does something we've seen in a bunch of matches, of course, throughout the years. He grabs a foreign object that looks like a knife, and he stabs the Undertaker with it a couple times. Yeah, what what was that? <laughs> It's Nobody like, knows what that is. I'm like, is Undertaker going to start bleeding profusely now? Did you take like a – is he New Jack with a scalpel? Like, what is this? Is it an exacto so knife? And it he's got like it like – a blunt he, knife. It looks like it's like – day, the ref just sees him hitting a guy with a, something in his hand. And J- Ross is like, Raph, check, check the right hand. There's something in there. He's just holding it. He's not even really he hiding it from him. But he just – yeah, he has like – if you just took a uh, – it looks like you just took, let's say, like three plastic knives from McDonald's. And you wrap them in hockey tape. Yeah, that's um, exactly what is he's doing. But like he just kind of like stabs with him, and it's like, okay, uh, doesn't really nothing really happens with it because mankind then gets on Undertaker's shoulders, kind of like for um like a uh, sleeper hold, like almost like piggyback style. But Undertaker chokes up on him, brings him forward. Uh oh, he's in the tombstone position. Undertaker turns around, he drops to his knees, he hits the tombstone pile driver on mankind, and he pins him one, two, three. Yeah. I will say. You should go back and watch the Buried Alive match instead of this one because that match was like fun and chaotic and like there was some crazy brawling stuff there. I think a little bit better. Uh, there, I mean, there's so many good Undertaker Mankind matches. It's kind of crazy to say that. Yeah, uh, this match is they have fine. a history. Yeah, and so the cage lowers. Sorry, the one that contains Paul Bearer, of course. Paul Bearer throughs the match, just kind of like yelling, like, "Ooh!" And he's like, "I don't know." Ten there's a away. cage cam up there as well. Yeah, yeah that's fun stuff. Uh, and uh, which would be kind of a, imagine the view you would have of the match and of the whole just the arena. Just be imagine being suspended ten feet above the ring in front of like nineteen thousand people. It's pretty crazy. That would uh, be nerve wracking. I think no matter how much faith you have in the you know, in the you'd thing. be Did fine they... if it fell. The cage would take all the damage. Just jump as you fall. You'd be fine. Just jump as you fall. It's like an elevator. Just jump right before yeah, it hits. I feel good about it. Uh. And so just as the Undertaker is there to hurt Paul Bearer as the cage door opens once he's on the ground or rather in the ring, suddenly the Executioner shows up. This is the oh, guy who helped no. Mankind bury Taker alive. Uh, he gets dispatched very quickly, but Paul Bearer gets away. And, I guess uh, we'll uh, have to wait and see what happens with Mr. Executioner, but he's going to be a big player in the year to come. Hey, man, he gets a pay rematch coming up here. Uh, Executioner <laughs> is Terry Gordy. He is Terry He's a, yeah. a tag team champion with Steve, Dr. Death Steve Williams in All Japan Pro Wrestling, and WCW, um, random thing to have that there. And Undertaker Freebird, uh, Terry Gordy. No, I don't think so. I thought Terry Gordy was one of the Freebirds. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Sorry. You know. Okay. See, I'm not. I'm not up on my. Well, this is not the uh, WCW's greatest year, 1992, or whatever it would be. I mean, we've uh, got handsome Doc Hendricks. Yes. Oh, uh, no, yeah, that's true. Know, Doc to, Hendricks is there. Just, just around Doc Hendricks, aka, uh, yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, the executioner. Yeah, yeah. See, I here's the thing. I I think of uh, Jimmy Garvin as being more of a uh, kind of. I think of him more so than. Uh, well, it's uh, like Terry demolition, Gordy. right? You can say axe and smash, but then they added crush. I'm not sure if uh, maybe Terry Gordy was added uh, to the fabulous Freebirds at some some point. Yeah, I think of Jimmy Jam Garvin. I don't know, just because of what I've seen of WCW, uh, he just kind of seemed like a better fit anyway. Uh, he's going to be a pilot, which is kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, the Undertaker celebrates his match uh, by uh, doing his kneeling on one knee, kind of uh, his kind of tribute to people uh, with uh, the deep blue light, and oh, yeah. uh, and from there, 
um, <laughs> Furnace Lafon are backstage with a couple of folks on laptops answering questions on AOL. And These I, laptops look like defibrillators. They're enormous. Oh yeah. They're ADs. Yeah, exactly. You're trained on this when you go to a workplace and you have other people. <laughs> um, gigantic. Presumably, they're answering questions like, who are you guys and which one is Furnace and which one is Lafon? <laughs> That's what I imagine is happening here. Oh, man. That's right. And then, so, and then Sunny comes out to join the gents at ringside and leave Sunny at the time of recording is currently imprisoned. But at this point, she was free as a bird, Terry Gordy style, and she's come down to the ring. She's dancing to her music. And there is one moment where she's at the announce table and she is dancing and she's not looking. And then we see in the same shot, Vince is there and Vince McMahon dances with her. Uh, and it is great. And he looks great. And I made me very happy. And it was great. Ross says, uh, what are you doing? Shaking your backside. Jerry Lawler is gone, and we find out why. Because Doc Hendricks, Freebird himself, is in the back with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who I'm probably going to call Triple H from now on, but he's often called the three, the full three named Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I mean, he's full, full blue blood here, baby. He's there with Goldust, Marlena, Crush, yep. and Jerry Lawler. They are yeah. one of the Survivor Series teams, and we're told the other team will be down a man because Mark Henry's injured, and all the guys take a chance to say they're going to win. How do they and, put these teams together? This team makes no sense. Just, it's it's the total gobbledygook. It's Motliest, crewiest looking group of heels yeah. you could ever imagine. It's hilarious. Well, the, f- the faces don't make a lot much, very much sense either. I would argue uh, because well, oh, you don't think so? Yes, we have a crush Hunter, Salmsley, <laughs> Jerry Lawler, and Goldust with Marlena going up against Mark Marrow with Sable, yeah. mm-hmm. the Stalker, sure, and Rocky Maivia. This the is a traditional... just wearing a WWF T-shirt, by the way. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what it's a true. Stalker. He's wearing... It's kind of off there. <laughs> I have some I have some revelations about Stalker that I realized during the match, which I was happy about. Please this is me. a this is a traditional eight man Survivor Series elimination tag match. Now, of course, I only named three guys on the face side, so you'll find out who the guy is in just a moment. Oh. Um, some context for this match: Triple H beat Mark Marrow for the IC title on the most recent Raw when Mister Perfect hit Mark Marrow with a chair after he faked a feud with Triple H and buried alive. Uh, and Triple H, so he comes out with the Intercontinental title. It still has a white strap. I don't know if he has that, if, if Triple H has it for forever, but it's a very interesting belt. Looks good. Really nice. um, Crush is formerly in demolition. He's now like a criminal, Will. Is it, was that what you said, I think before you said he kind of looks like he's got like yeah tattoos and stuff. Yeah, he's got tattoos on his face. Obviously, he's a big white Hawaiian dude, but he's got braids in his hair. He's wearing, he's like full DOA looking Crush here. But this is like pre DOA. We don't yeah, have future uh, gimmick there. Future either gimmick. of the Harris brothers or uh, whoever the other guy was in DOA. Yeah, uh, who played Fake Undertaker. Um, n- none, none of that. It's just crushes here. He's got a face tattoo that can't be real because I'm pretty sure he didn't have that when he was Brian Adams in WCW. Right. It seems so, like it's scrubbed off. Yeah. So it, yeah. it just scrubs off. But he's he's, cool. he's big evil crush here. Yeah, Goldust is also a heel, uh, and it's because he acts like he's a, a weird homosexual, and that's enough yeah. in 1996 to be a heel. Yeah, and uh, this is like still the the very early days, the Goldust character, where it's like all about movies and like Marlena is uh, like a director or something. Uh, you know, she has a director chair. It's true. I think that she we're going. Chair. I do think there's a moment later on where Jerry Lawler confronts uh, Goldust, and I believe he says, "Aren't you queer?" Uh, which might even get bleeped at one point, or it did get bleeped there. So anyway, during we, this we, match, no, later on the in the in the weeks to come here, we've got we got some interesting oh, stuff. He's got a, he's got a rough one on Gold Dust that I saw on YouTube one time. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is stuff. It's not. Um, they weren't winning Glad Awards. I'm gonna say that. They weren't uh, even nominated. <laughs> they weren't even nominated. <laughs> Too Somehow. Bad. Uh, Mark Marrow, he comes out. He's got a full a display of pinwheel fireworks that go on behind him. In the ring, this is this something that happened then? Is that you come in the ring and some sparklers and stuff would descend from the I don't know the middle of this the arena 
and they would show up behind you. Some other guys get uh, some pyro throughout the night. There's some very prominent stuff in the main events. Uh, so, yeah. So, so Mark Miro has here. Yeah. I say Shawn Michaels is the only one who like really kind of like kept it going with the in-ring pyro throughout his career. Oh, Mark his Miro is on the mat, though. He's on the not, mat. Not, not descending from above. Doesn't descend. You're right. True. You're right. Mark there. Merrill, this this iteration of him in the in the um, in the red, the red and the white. I remember making a sign because I went to a house show. Yeah. I think just like a couple of weeks before this it was on the Big Bang Boom tour. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's the one where I had my Wild Man Mark Merrill and Sable our number one sign, and I wrote it like in the cool Wild Man font, and it was red yeah. and black and white. It looked awesome, and uh, I don't know what happened to that sign. I guess I threw it away or something. Yeah, tragic. Tragically, what happens to all the cardboard in the house at some point? Um, I mean, it's just paper, man. Yeah, that's right. I can make uh, another Mark, one, I guess. You should. You should. I really would love for you to make that now. Makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, Sunny, now that she's on commentary, uh, she takes some shots at Sable. I think she kind of essentially implies that she might have implants. Uh, she does. Which is which, interesting. Uh, interesting uh, choice to take there. Um, I believe that at one point Vince or someone calls Stalker, the Stalker, a consummate professional. It's like... Okay, that's mm-hmm. strange. Because because at this point I'm like, is he does he stalk people? Now this should be clear, the stalker is the former NWA World Champion and WCW Tag Team Champion and WWF Tag Team Champion Barry Windham. Um, seems like a heel gimmick. I realize at one point he stalks prey. He's a hunter, so he's just supposed to be like a woodsy guy, in a way. And so that's why he's a face guy because he's just like, hey, what if I was? What if there was a hunter? That's the name. Of that, that's the idea of that gimmick. Yeah, um, basically. <laughs> Rocky Maivia comes out. He's got tassels and lots of curly hair. You've probably oh, seen wow. a version of him coming down the ramp at Survivor Series 96 before because it's often in Rock video promos. Uh, now, Will, we got a video package on Raw for Rocky Maivia a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was last week. Um, he's the third, th- first third-generation wrestler. Yep. Uh, and we see him. He's working out in a ring at one point. He he does his kind of his very his little spinning DDT that he would do for his entire career. He does that to a guy at one point. And mm-hmm. uh, he's getting interviewed. He's... The, this is Rocky Maivia. He becomes The Rock. He's almost hilariously soft-spoken. It's amazing. <laughs> like he's so soft-spoken. He's like, he's like, honestly, I'm I'm so excited to wrestle, and and, 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 and like, it sounds like he's picking out drywall for his house. And I'm like, this he's, guy is going to become a bona fide like action star the blockbuster world. superstar. Yeah. The the biggest star in the world, like literally the biggest star. And he he starts out here. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, playing a very humble baby face. You're like, golly gee, I'm just so fortunate to be wrestling. This is really awesome. And uh, people don't hate him right away, but uh, give it time. Give him time. Uh, Yeah, so Mark Merrill gets on the mic before the match. says, look, we're not dumb. We don't have three guys. We have four because we also have Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, Jake. Out comes Jake St. Roberts. He comes out with one of the best theme songs in wrestling history. I really encourage anyone to look that up because it is an absolute banger. It rules. They do an outdoor shot of Madison Square Garden while this plays, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. This that is rules. great. This is great. Um, Jake Jake doesn't look great here. Uh, he looks no. very bad. He looks very bad. Earlier this summer, he was wearing like a, like a shirt thing, so he like kind of covered his, his midriff like back king of the ring you know yeah, he's future sure, sure. waller as well he's yep. just ditching that and he just has this big uh big albino snake big albino boa constrictor with him that he stuffs in a bag that's right um shortly after that we're told that apparently taker and mankind are having quite the conversation on the superstar line this, this is a unbelievable <laughs> this is a paid line that we're gonna hear about all the time you see it all the time 
uh, where you would call to hear from WWF superstars. Uh, and just strange to think of Undertaker being like, look, I'm glad I beat Mankind. Mankind being like, I didn't mean to beat you. Or like, just like, I don't want to hear a conversation with these guys. Like, what are we doing? Please. Free it, free internet, you know, like when they had to have people like on AOL for the wrestlers. There's obviously the very famous kind of photo of Shawn Michaels, like with the AOL computer being like, you know, very slow with his right, fingers. trying to type something out. Try, try, trying to type something out. This is back when you had to have like a designated laptop person. So now, yeah, the superstar line, obviously the WCW hotline, right? That scheme Gene was always uh, hawking on on the show. So much, so much yeah, but Will, phone this, stuff. The Mean Gene thing was interesting because Mean Gene, um, he got a cut of that, and so there were multiple times where Mean Gene would would on the air say, "Hey." Um, like, we're, like he, he would lie about things and there would be there would yes. be consequences for it. There'd be like, hey, you actually turns out you can't <sighs> lie to consumers. Cause it's right. cause it's like it's it's anti consumer to do that, right? It's anyway, Why hilarious not, to think I about. Say. Um, oh my god. I love wrestling, man. It, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, it's pretty <sighs> pretty hilarious. Um so uh, so yes, they are on the superstar line. They are chatting with us apparently. Uh, yeah, Jerry Lawler is in the ring. He's sitting with a Burger King chant, which he sells quite dramatically, which is great. Oh, hilarious! Um, yeah, he's, no, he's he's so goofy. Oh yeah, big time. Um, <laughs> we also so we, we get to hear a Vince McMahon say back body drop as Goldust gets back body <laughs> drop by Wam and Mark Merrill. That's another Vinceism for the ages. Classic Vinceism. Um, the stalker is also called the stalker Barry Windham. So Vince calls him Barry Windham, which I was shocked by, and. Ross just says like, yeah, he's black Blackjack Mulligan's uh, kid, and he's wearing Blackjack's boots, and you yeah. know he's won some championships. And Sonny's they're very like, loosey goosey about this stuff. Then there's also um, they showed on Raw a few weeks ago, uh, Rock doing a induction thing for Rocky Johnson, his father, at the Cauliflower Alley, which is this, like Cauliflower classic, club, right? Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. like an old, old like traditional wrestling club they had, but it's like it's so like loose and kind of like, oh, they would never show another wrestling organization kind of like hall of fame thing in the future like it's so strange to see that but like they're very they're, times where they're, they're super casual with it it's like whatever they can do to put over their guy right so if you can say the stalker was good somewhere else you'll say that you just won't say you know in wcw you'll just be like stalkers won championships and other organizations and yeah, the, you can be pretty much that's the be, one thing you can't say is like you can allude to wcw at certain times usually jr does but yeah there uh, Rock tags it, Rocky Maivia. I gotta call him Rocky Maivia. His name is Rocky Maivia. He's not the Rock. He's Rocky, a guy named Rocky, Rocky Maivia. Very not the Rock. Rocky Maivia tags in. He goes against Crush. It's a big time Pacific Island battle here. Oh yeah. And uh, the Rock kips up. He leapfrogs. He drop kicks. He's a damn cruiserweight. Will he's got hops, man. He's he's good. He's, he's his athleticism is through the charts, off the charts, through the, through the chain, through the through wire. the chain, off the charts, over the rally, off the top rope, and back body drop. <laughs> Triple H comes in. We see our first tangle of The Rock and Triple H. And to think they would have a... Two schmoes. Two schmoes. They're less than two years away from having a ladder match that would bring the the house down in that same building. Madison Square Garden. Less than two years later. For the Intercontinental title. Yeah. I mean, it's not that weird because Triple H is currently Intercontinental champion. So it's like, how how much did he accomplish in those two years? But... No, but it's like the Intercontinental title match, bringing the house down, is is kind of a forgotten uh, art. uh, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Big I time. mean, recently there's been some good ones too, but like, and then they wrestled underneath uh, Stone Cold and uh, Undertaker that night. That's true. 
Yeah. Um, JR Lawler comes in and pretends to be drunk uh, to taunt Jake the Snake Roberts, who he called he drunk a lot. He does the very cartoony like telephone bottle of booze that he yes. jugs and stumbles around because he's making fun of J- Jake Roberts' very real and thing that almost killed him problem of drinking and alcohol and, and drinking and drugs. Yeah. Uh, now Jake gets him back by spiking him with the DDT and pinning him and Lawler takes his DDT quite well. And he also does the convulsing cell afterwards, which is, that's, <laughs> so that's a divisive stupid. one, I would say in wrestling. It's so, it's so Memphis this is way too over the top. Yeah. Pretzel, uh, but oh, it's just a big phony. Lawler quit. <laughs> Lawler quits himself. Well, that's right. We should bring more Brett stuff in because this is a podcast that's ostensibly about him. Oh, I can tell you what Brett thinks about everything. <laughs> he nah, makes yeah, exactly. his... phony, phony uh, wrestling, phony wrestlers. You know. uh, Goldust, I'm excited for that uh, impression to go on forward. Well, uh, oh. Goldust hits the curtain call, which is an ele- an elevator reverse DDT on the stalker, and he's down for the one, two, three. He does kick out at three, which is a classic way to save your skin, which I appreciate. That's like an old school, like oh, I'm gonna the uh, leg wiggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a very long, boring abdominal stretch sunset flip sequence with Mark Marrow and uh, Triple H, but then Marrow gets the head scissors on Triple H. Uh, he hits a Marrow salt on Triple H. And that eliminates Triple H. A Marrow Salt is when you get a standing moonsault from the top rope, but Marrow starts off by facing the ring, and then he jumps and turns and lands on the ba- on the top rope backwards, and then he flips on his opponent, which is kind of crazy to see. And you're like, wow. Uh, pretty I good. He, he, he debuted the Wild Thing not more than a couple months ago at uh, SummerSlam against Goldust. And the Wild Thing is, of course, everyone's favorite, the Shooting Star Press. Shooting Star Press. I mean, Sable just has to be with a guy who has at one point done a shooting star <laughs> Exactly. She's just like, uh, yeah, back in SmackDown, Kidman was like, hey, uh, Sable, don't tell Tori I showed you this, but watch this. And I mean, she had to at least world. look at him and be kind of like, well, maybe. Well, uh, I've seen better. <laughs> I've seen better. I've seen bigger guys do it. Uh, Mark Miro misses a Piscato dive outside the ring, and when he's back in, Crush hits the heart punch and pins him. That's Folks, you know what the heart punch is? Is it exactly uh, what it sounds like? my gosh well he kind of like what crush will often do is he'll take kind of like your left arm he'll put it over your head so you kind of like a triangle with your arm and your i guess your just your arm and kind of holds you there awkwardly kind of to free up your heart it's inside yeah, your yeah. body not outside your body and then crush punches you in the chest and it's supposed to hurt more everybody um, knows matt if you put your left arm above your head you know your sternum that protects your heart that actually yeah. opens up <laughs> it's where it's right. open it's actually it's a joint it's not a bone so that that yeah. that that's spread wide open and he punches you right in your uh, aorta Everyone is kind of like a Star Fox villain where after a certain amount of shots, something opens up and you can shoot it. (laughs) That's what Crush is doing. He's essentially, he's doing a barrel roll effectively and uh, hitting us where it hurts. Uh, Uh, Good luck. So uh, Jake the Snake Roberts gets punched in the chest and he gets eliminated, uh, which is great. So Rocky, it's it's down to Rocky versus Crush and Goldust. And we're hearing some Rocky chants, which is great. And so Rocky's getting fired up. He's punching. He's moving around. So Goldust holds Rocky for a heart punch from Crush, but Will, you won't believe it. Rocky gets what? out of the way. Goldust Ugh. takes a heart punch to the chest. Oh! Cr- Crush gets crossbody from a standing position and pinned, leaving just Rocky and Goldust. It's a flying body press to beat him. You kidding yeah. me? You kidding Not me? Not even from the top rope. No. Nope. Uh, then Goldust. Goldust, who's been weakened immensely by being punched so hard in Ross exactly says, "Go after him. He just got hit by the other guy's finisher." Yeah. Uh, he takes a power slam position shoulder breaker. From Rocky Maivia. Class enough Rocky. for the one, two, three. Ah, oh, he's a soul survivor. Look at that. What a Rocky Maivia, soul survivor. Big debut, big win. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it feels like another sign. You know, first LaFond, they debut and win earlier. Rock debuts, or Rocky Maivia debuts earlier, uh, debuts here. He wins. Uh, another reset here. That's what they want to do. 
and also, I mean, I don't know. That power slam shoulder breaker thing has always been like, well, why would that you would does that hurt you that much? It just I don't I don't get it as a finisher even a little bit. It doesn't it's totally like, like a I don't get it. It, it would totally be like setting up like a I don't know a cross face or something right it would totally be setting up some kind of shoulder submission but as yeah, a finisher like, yeah no it's it's not it's not really all that uh, impactful it's like a C tier move for me that's what I think that is I don't think that's there you know, go. I don't think that's where it's supposed to be uh, and so then will we get a video package for Brett the Hitman Hart and going up against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And so, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Buried Alive, they talked about how Brett was coming back to the WWF on Raw the next night. He had been away since losing the WWF title to Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 12. And it was on that Raw that Brett openly discussed potentially signing with, quote, another organization. Who could he says been? he'll be with the WWF forever. Will, real quick, did he already sign his 20-year deal? Oh, shoot. I think he did. Well, Vince's response to that is very real. <laughs> me like, ah! All right. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a relieved kind of like, oh boy, this is how I'm finding out kind of thing. Uh, and I think there was I some issue. Yeah. There was always some issue with a contract where it's like he got it, but it wasn't quite the thing they talked about. And then the lawyers were like, oh, we sent you the wrong contract. Sorry. So it was always like an eleventh hour thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is when he signed. So the twenty year contract was like. Uh, it, it's not unlike sports contracts now where it's like, we'll pay you this much now, but more later, right? Because mm. we can only afford to pay you this much now. We're going to pay you more later. And then Vince had this idea to have a Babe Ruth of the WWF. He wanted Hulk to be at some point, maybe even Mach. He wanted someone to be like just around, just a veteran yeah. who's just around. So it's like, Brett, you'll wrestle for the next couple of years, and then you'll be the Babe Ruth of the WWF. You'll do appearances. You'll do whatever. You'll be on shows. You're not going to wrestle, though, okay? Because, yeah. you know, Brett's been at it for 12 years at this point. And, and 12, 12 years without a day off. Uh, you know, so he'll constantly say he didn't miss a date. He's never been late, you know. Uh, and uh, so that's the contract he, he just signed. And yeah. uh, he was talking to the WCW even years before this where they're just like, right. oh, you can get me that much money? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he calls them again, and they're like, uh, so this is what we can offer you. And it's not what they offered initially. Uh, I think it was like three quarters of a mil or something per yeah, year. Yeah. Anyway, so Brett's getting uh, Brett, Brett's getting a bunch of money from Vince, even though Vince doesn't have a lot of money right now. And will that be a problem in the future? Oh, yeah, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you bet your bottom dollar that Vince we will didn't see. have a bottom dollar to give Brett. Also on that uh, in that Raw interview, uh, Brett says about Shawn Michaels, there's just something about you that really bugs me. Which is a very genuine line, as far as I can tell. Very succinct way of explaining that relationship. There's a as couple well. things about Sean that bugs Brett. I think yeah. they're kind of obvious when Sean comes dancing out. Yeah. Uh, he also, in that interview, he accepts Stone Cold Steve Austin's challenge for a match Survivor Series, which was something up to that point that Austin's saying, I want to face you. Um, and they also told a very sad story about his nephew who passed away, and Brett said he would come back and wrestle again for him, which is too bad. Yeah, he's the sickest kid in Canada for a time. Yeah, and so we see uh, footage of uh, in this video package of Brett locking a bunch of dudes on, uh, into sharpshooters. We see Stone Cold Steve Austin win the 1996 King of the Ring. We see him attack Brian Pillman. And so, yeah, some context here. So on the October 27th edition of Superstars, Brian Pillman, who was essentially friends with Steve Austin at the time, he called, he, he talked about Brett Hart. He was the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. And Austin just snaps. He attacks him. And this is where he does the famous Pillmanizer. He puts his foot, his ankle in a chair and stomps on it. This is an angle because uh, poor Brian Pillman had severe kind of ankle problems. 
and never really could wrestle the way he wanted to in WWF, which is sad because uh, he was such a high flyer in the past. Um, so yeah, that happened. We kind of lied about his condition though to get hired there, right? I think when he got hired Probably. by WWF, he was like, "No, I'm." He's he's kind of like made it out to be like, "No, I'm better than I am." And right then he was. I mean, he also he tricked Eric Bischoff into releasing him, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, got away with that too. Uh, yeah, and then Brian Pillman was interviewed at his family's home uh, oh, after he yeah. got injured, uh, and he was told, "Hey, uh, Steve Austin is nearby. He's like in the area." And so yep. uh, Brian Pillman brandishes a gun. Yeah, he says when Austin three sixteen meets meets Pillman nine millimeter. Oh my gosh! So Austin shows up. He breaks into his house. We see footage of him like using a, a baseball bat to break in. The satellite feed goes to static when we see Pillman point a gun at Austin. And then later on, Raw ends with the feedback. Pillman's yelling at a restrained Austin, and poor WWF interviewer Kevin Kelly is yelling for someone to call the police. That's only really kind of like adjacent to this feud. It's weird they went so hard in that direction. It went so extreme. It's such a weird episode guns. of Raw, too. Like, they'll interrupt matches, and Doc Henderson will be like, Yeah, Vinnie Mac, sorry to interrupt you there, but I got to tell you about uh, something going on right now with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, Steve's, like, calling the, the calling Monday Night Raw, and he's driving towards Pillman's house, and then afterwards it's like, Yes, there were some explosions, but no one's hurt. No one has been shot. Gosh, um, oh, the, best, the best part for me watching that episode of Raw was that we go from the first time that Brian Pillman brandishes a pistol, and we cut from that, we go immediately to Karate Fighters, Milton Bradley's yes. Karate Fighter Tournament. It's and tournament. we'll talk more about the Milton Bradley Karate Fighters Tournament because it is a running thing on the show. Are we talking about how that the is, Hall of Fame takes place in Survivor Series weekend for some reason? Probably because it's in New York, but anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in this video package, which I've kind of come in and out to, to give you some context for it, uh, we hear a line from Stokel Steve Austin. It's kind of a classic line. He says, if you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you have my exact opinion of Bret Hart. <laughs> Great line. It's savage. Perfect. Yeah. It's savage. Uh, and so we go from an interview, uh, from the video rather, to an interview with Stokel Steve Austin, Todd Pettengill, who was a backstage interview at the time, uh, kind of a goofball. Uh, and he mentions uh, new stipulations for this match. Kind of vague. We find out a little bit later what that is. Strange. Uh, uh, Sokol Steve Austin says that he's going to beat Brett, and uh, we're told. That's what he says. I'm going to beat, beat him up. And so this next match is Brett Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. And this is a big match. This is Brett's return match. This is one of the big reasons why we're starting this show, the Hitman's last great uh. year on this show. And JR, he says he saw Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestle in the Sportatorium in Dallas seven years ago. Name drops the Sportatorium. Yep. Man, oh, man. Did not expect that. Like, Um, Ross is basically making no bones about the fact that he worked for another company, basically. Yeah. This is like, yeah, yeah, I was in WCW for years. I was in Texas for a long time. I get it. Um, Something weird that will come up more in this podcast is to see Stone Cold Steve Austin come out and to not get a huge reaction. Like, he gets a decent reaction here. But like a couple years later, glass like, shatter, or did he just come out to like dun 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 dun? Yeah, he looks so yeah, awesome though. He's, yes. uh, I mean, he's got his 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 look doesn't change. I mean, it it, it stunk okay. with the ring man. Kudos to Steve Austin who had long blonde hair, kind of going a little thin on top, and he thought, what if I just shave the whole thing off, grow goatee, and the look works for him so well. He looks awesome. 
He's got the black vest with like the three skulls in the back. It says Stone Cold, and he just looks. And this is pre neck injury too. Yes. Uh, so he, he's not he can quite, go a bit more. I would argue he's he's a little more spry. His voice isn't quite as raspy as it is now when people do a Stone Cold impression. People now do Stone Cold impression sounds like this, but like back then he's like I'm the best there is in the WWF. A little different. That wasn't yeah. a good one, but like it's a little bit different. And uh, he just the way he speaks and just like the look in his eyes and his head, his bald head banging back and forth, and him just whooping ass on everybody. I mean, sure enough, becomes the biggest star in wrestling in uh, short order. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so we we go from Stone Cold in the ring to Bret Hart, and he is uh, he's in the back with Tom Pettengill now, and he repeats Speaking a line. Awesome. Yeah, oh yeah. He repeats a line he said recently. He said the Madison Square Garden isn't a church, but it is holy ground. And mm-hmm. so he's talking about That's a good line. Uh, the, yeah, what, just what it means to wrestle here. And he says he's going to earn Stone Cold Steve Austin's respect tonight, which seems like a tall order considering just how much derision Stone Cold Steve Austin has given to Brett. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we see that. And so we hear what I consider to be very familiar electric guitar squeals, and out comes Bret Hart. He gets some small pops of pyro from above the ring, and Master Square Guard is pretty happy to see him, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, I feel like this is like a pretty great reaction for him, and uh, it's it just it's it's a neat thing to see people excited to have Bret Hart back. I felt like I was like I'm also excited. This is good. I feel like I'm yeah, it's, here. It's awesome. This is where he puts the, some orange in his gear, so he's got kind of like the yes. pink and black. Uh, now I'm thinking orange. like. Has anyone in the history of wrestling besides Brett ever made this look work? He's got the long, he's got the Bret Hart look, which is the long pants yep. and boots, and he's got the singlet, uh, yep. presumably worn underneath the, the long pants. So the only, I can't think of anybody else this look works for, other than yeah, Bret Hart. I, like Spark uh, Plug Hollywood tried the same it before. Thing. I don't even know. Oh gosh, it was yeah, just okay. such an old school kind of look, like. All the other big wrestlers basically wrestled either in trunks or if you're Undertaker, he's wrestling. Actually, you know what? Undertaker wore this look. Uh, yeah, way similar. Late in his actually, career. this is like the maybe the I don't know. You would say oh seven eight Undertaker. Where he just wore the the long pants and a singlet. Yeah, okay. Yep, he got away okay. with it. Okay. Okay. So it helps yeah. if you're a uh, it helps if you're a legend. You can actually get away with it, which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to be a legend though. But but he le- he's got like the leather jacket on, and just like the way this looks, he's got like uh, it's pretty busy as far as Brett goes for gear. He's got stars and uh, and hearts up the legs. He's got yeah. the four stars on his butt. He's got the four hearts on his leg. Those hearts symbolize his four kids. He added there another go, heart okay. to his. He added another heart to his gear when he had, uh, I believe, Blade was his youngest. Nice, very good. Um, something I find curious about Brett is that um, I feel like he's called Brett Hitman Hart and the Hitman Brett Hart interchangeably. But sometimes the 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 in front of Hitman goes missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't really have uh, any explanation for that, but just curious there. Hitman's uh, such a great nickname too, though. As far as oh, like awesome. wrestling goes, like it's just like the only name that no one will ever take. It's oh, just yeah. eponymous with him. It's uh, it's, it's funny because it means killer. Means I, I'm somebody who yeah. kills people, which is yeah. interesting for Brett. I mean, it's like almost, almost too tough, um, which is interesting. Uh, He'll kill you in the ring. Yeah, Brett. Uh, Brett puts his pink rapper sunglasses on a fan at ringside, and like, man, how cool would it be to have a pair of those? Like that would be. Just and they're autographed too. Uh, those, those are autographed. Yes, they are. And these like the new pink glasses with like a lot of like black kind of uh, on it as well, right. and just like the pink in the in the middle. 
Oh, wow. When I say I wanted a pair of those sunglasses so badly, I mean, right. I could probably get one quite easily on like Shop Zone or something, or, but uh, it's hard to justify. Yeah. I mean, my advanced yeah. age. Man, I hope everyone who got those sunglasses have them in a place of honor somewhere in their home. Apparently, uh, I know, uh, I don't know, but he's like a, a, a comment, like a radio host, New York radio host, has these sunglasses from the screw job. That's crazy. Uh, and uh, it's maybe maybe not yet um, like confirmed, but he's got the sunglasses from the from the screw job. Yeah, that's ins- that's like that's some holy grail stuff right there. It's like native right. holy grail. It's like in the evil grail, <laughs> <laughs> the satanic grail. Uh, yeah, which I guess would just be you know going from Last Crusade. It would be a very glittery grail. It looks look very nice. Oh well, that's if you chose poorly, of course. That's right. So Vince tells us Gorilla Monsoon, who is the WWF president at this time, uh, formerly a commentator. Uh, before that, he was a wrestler and also a backstage fella. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's WWF president. He made this match a number one contenders match for the WWF title. And the winner will face the WWF champion next month at In Your House. Uh, so it's like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so there's a, uh, a, a dynamic here. Uh, where this is going to be a, a number one contenders match. We had two babies in a row where there's a number one contenders match because Psycho Sid versus Vader was also one the other month. Right. Uh, and so let's get into this match, Will. Stone Cold Steve Austin oh, flips Brett the Double Birds right in his face before things get underway. Yeah. Uh, JR mentions these guys are in their prime. They're not past it, which was common, uh, common dig at WCW at the time. These guys are they're not old. They're JR also mentions that Brett ain't a clown or a trash man. A He's clown. a wrestler. Isn't that's a reference to them? They're talking about their own. Uh, he's he's legitimately gimmicks. dissing his own boss right next to him, yeah, <laughs> and he is funny. yeah. He said they're 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 not past their prime, which of course is a dig at WCW. Yeah, they lock up, and Austin pushes Brett into the corner and won't let him out of there. Uh, but then Brett shoves him off. Um, Jr. says that neither man has ever submitted in a match, which I find hard to believe, but I guess might be true. I, I'm assuming they are definitely not shoot uh, not looking into any WCW WCW or Stampede stuff, but um, he's no, saying right no, now no. as it stands. In the WWF, exactly, which is what makes the submission match at WrestleMania such a big deal. Spoiler alert for later. Right. Um, Vince suggests Stone Cold Steve Austin could put Bret Hart in a sharpshooter in this match and make him submit. How weird that would be. And I'm like, wait a sec. Yeah. Here's here's Vince McMahon suggesting Bret's opponent should put him in a sharpshooter in a big match or Survivor Series. Did I just teleport to the future or something? Like, what the hell just happened? Vince had that finished in his back pocket for maybe longer than we think. We had to wait for the Vince McMahon book to come out and, and hear about what he knew when he, you know, before he knew it. Gosh, the Bre- the Vince McMahon book would be something else. I'll tell you that. That would be holy cow. It, I mean, it would have to be. It would have to be volumes. We we would need many many books. I think it would just be like I made the decision to do this and it was great. Next chapter, <laughs> you know, it's like I did this and it was great. Next chapter, I was justified in everything I did. Yeah. Uh, JR talks up uh, how healthy Brett is as Stone Cold Steve Austin has his arm tied up. And the crowd chants this let's go Brett chant, uh, even with his arm behind his back. And, and, sorry, and Austin has his arm behind his back, but Austin's looking around in disbelief because people are cheering for Bret Hart. And he's like, oh. <laughs> it's like such a good reaction. Be like, what, why are you, what is this happening? It's insane this is happening. <sighs> and, uh, and so the guys started, they're quite technical here. You know, Brett's working Austin's arm. Uh, and, uh, you know, Austin was known, uh, he used the million dollar dream back when he was the ringmaster. That could involve the R. might be a reason how he used it there. And, uh, Austin gets away from Brett. He manages to get a stun gun on Brett. So he drops him neck first on the top rope. This is an old finisher of his. It is and, a finisher, right? Okay. Yeah. And Brett makes it's it look like death. Gun. Like he just like, yeah, he like gets dropped. And it's one of the things that makes Brett like so great is that it's like, yeah, he makes the moves look fantastic. It's amazing. He'll say that in his book a lot. He's like, so-and-so hit me with this. It looked like it, you know, it totally killed me. I didn't feel a thing. It was great. Yeah, it's amazing. 
Yeah, that, that's, you talk about that in like the book, just things that are just like, oh, I look great and it wasn't hurting at all. Uh, and or so you talk t- about how uh, Jerry Lawler threw a uh, throne on him after King of the Ring and it legitimately hurt and he still has problems with that. Right. <laughs> with his ribs. Uh, <laughs> it sucks so much to think about that. Uh, also chokes Brett with a bottom rope. He slingshots him to the bottom rope as well. Uh, and this is where Vince tells us that Austin has a tough man contest against Vader tomorrow night on Raw. So strange to be like, let's look ahead past this match and his next match. Yeah, look, look at Raw the next day for a random match that has a they gimmick that never is never do that. I mean, like a gimmick they can't ever even explain. That's not that's not even a thing. What is it? Yeah. I mean, we don't know what a tough man match is. Yeah, we have no answer for that. Uh, and so I like this part of the match because Brett is working the arm of Austin. It's this normal wrestling thing to do, and Austin is just choking Brett. It seems dirtier, although it also has been suggested that the stutter hurts uh, people's throats, which Jared mentions here. But it's like these two guys are doing their like I don't like what they uh, excel at. That's how they are making this match work. This is what they're they're doing essentially here. I guess I thought working the arm is curious for Brett since he's got a lower body finisher, but yeah. they do mention like it'd make it harder to apply the million dollar dream. Uh, I can accept that. And then you're right, yeah, yeah Austin working the throat. Uh, and the head too, like it's just that's just kind of a mean jerk thing to do, just beat up a guy's head, you know. Yeah. Then they have this this kind of uh, this punching contest here. They brawl back and forth, and um, that's when uh, Austin comes out on top of it. And and that's I think Jared's like kind of like, hey, look, like, this is this is Austin's expertise is brawling and wrestling is Brett's. And we have Brett. He gets a close line. He gets an at- inverted atomic drop, and then a rolling pin for two. And will this is where we have to talk about Bret Hart's five moves. Of doom, which are of five moves. Brett would often use often towards the end of the match to finish a guy off. Would, uh, I think it was popularized by the uh, the uh, internet reviewer and rancher Scott Keith. Mm-hmm. And uh, these five moves of doom, they're often done in order. And there's also kind of some honorary members as well. And what I could see online uh, as a semi-official kind of um, list for it was that the five moves of doom are the inverted atomic drop, the Russian leg sweep, the backbreaker, the elbow drop from the second rope, and the sharpshooter. I've sometimes seen the bulldog thrown in there and the sharpshooter is separate from the five moves of doom. Um, but it's what he does there. And this is funny because I remember seeing online people talk about five, like, hey, Brett had five moves of doom and seeing some younger people be like, oh, I thought it was just a John Cena thing. And you're like, whoa, okay, I'm old. Uh, people aren't, aren't really catching that. Um, uh, there's a lot of wrestlers who had like kind of their blank moves of doom. Like I think yeah. of Shawn Michaels' elbow drop is like uh, something of a, a move of doom as well. You know, yeah. he hits the elbow drop and then he pops up in the corner and, you know, Gets everybody psyched for the, the sweet chin music. Yeah, that's right. He kind of has two moves to do. Just the elbow drop and that. He does other <laughs> stuff. Those are the two, kind of the main Two thing. moves to do. That's how many moves to do he has. Just two. So Brett hits the Russian leg sweep. That's move two of five. Uh, he hits it for two. And then when he tries to get a bulldog out of the corner, Brett Austin pushes off instead. And Brett goes flying chest first into the turnbuckle. And this is another thing we had to point out. He's a classic Brett spot. Signature Brett spot. Yeah. Right? Where the, the, And he does it even better in some place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Instead of turning to take it, he gets whipped. He hits a chest first. And he hits and he, and he smacks down to his back after. He takes it with a ton of velocity. It looks awesome, and it it stops people dead. And it's also one of those things where like I don't even could wrestlers even do this now? Because I feel like you would do this at the performance center, and wrestlers and WWE wrestlers would be like, "What are you doing? That's not how you take a bat. That's how you get whipped into the corner." Well, that, well, first of all, they would all they would all know it's a Bret Hart spot. From yeah, CFDR, do that a bunch of times in a match or something uh, yeah, nowadays. Gosh, but it's a signature Brett spot. He says in the book, nobody can take a front buckle like him. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it, it's it's true. This like it, it's completely unparalleled in that regard. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Austin goes for a superplex to the top rope. 
Uh, Brett drops him with a counter. He goes for the elbow drop from the top rope, which is move yeah, four. Yeah, very unbred thing to do. Yeah. Uh, he gets a, a delayed cover for that, gets two. Uh, Brett goes for a backbreaker. That's move three at five. Uh, he gets raked in the eyes and then tossed to the outside of the ring. So Brett is trying to – Brett is, like, succeeding with some of his moves. Austin's breaking some of them up here. Brett, Brett's not really able to – like, he's not getting all the way to a finish for himself. Um, they're outside the ring. Austin pushes Brett into the steel turnbuckle. And then Brett lifts and shoves Austin into and then through the steel barricade at ringside. Yeah. Uh, and Brett even tosses Austin face first and knocks down a whole chunk of barricade. This, this, a barricade falls down right at ringside at Madison Square Garden. Totally, kind of wild to yep. see it, really. Um, yeah, we used to have 18,000 people spill out into the ring if you wanted. Right. Uh, this is where, um, you know, we, Brett, he's leaning into these brawling tendencies of Stone Cold and Vince McMahon calls this a Donnybrook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm surprised. He, I'm surprised he doesn't have a, a matchbook for a Donnybrook contest, or like an official Donnybrook. Yeah. What was the what or, was the or thing a wrestler named Donny? Or Irish wrestler named Donny Brook. All Donnie right, Donny Brook here to kick things off. Right, right before, right before he left, or maybe it was right after Will. Uh, what was the like special match? The old fashioned what battle royal? Or what do they call it? There was like some phrase they did uh, when they were promoting something. They said, "Oh, I think maybe they call it a good old fashioned battle royal." Maybe. Um, but it was just this funny kind of Vinceism, which I got a kick out of. Oh, he called it a good old fashioned battle. Royale. I think so. It was like it's like weirdly official kind of thing. Uh, so Austin gets Brett into a slingshot on the outside of the ring, and he flings Brett into the Spanish announce table, which he lands on. It doesn't break, but Brett does land on Hugo Savinovich, one of the announcers. This is uh, we're starting to, to buzz around the announce tables this year. Yep. Uh, what was it uh, right after WrestleMania? Right, it was uh, Sean and Sean and Diesel had a match where yes, Diesel put Sean through a table and put him through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fresh. That was fresh at the time. That's it. Um, well, this is where I had this idea. I was like, okay, you know how there's like trampoline parks? Of course. What do yes. you want to do, Spanish and stable parks? No, I want to have – I want a full ringside area with a ring, but I want everything there to be like soft and stuff like that. So I could go – Of course. You and, you and I could go, and we could do moves yeah. to each other, but it doesn't hurt at all. But we can run the ropes. We can do this stuff. We can do super – like we can do all this stuff. You can put three people through tables. But no matter where now you, you land, s- it doesn't actually hurt. Well, you can still land on your head and break your neck, though. People have done that yes. on trampolines. <laughs> you have to be smart so. about it. But it wouldn't be trampolines. It would just be soft. Anyway, this is my idea. Uh, it's called, I, I'm, I will uh, figure out a way to do it. And it be super safe. It would be amazing. Let's get a um, pair of sock and boppers, you know? Yeah. Well, that would work, too. So Brett, has, Brett is still in the announce table, and Austin drops an elbow on him. And the table doesn't break, but Brett is hurt. And it's one of those things where I'm like, so was Austin trying to break the table and it didn't work, or was that just another move and they just didn't have tables that necessarily always broke back then? I, I think a table breaking is far from uh, far from their mind. They're like, oh, if it breaks, that'd be awful. <laughs> like, it'd be so violent. Yeah, that would hurt, yeah, if you broke uh, it. Austin suplexes Brett back into the ring, and he is firmly in control. Uh, JR points out all the Austin 316 signs, and he says, look, Austin could care less about that. Like He's like, fans like him. Like you're wasting your time. Austin does not care. You're wasting your time loving this man. It's That's stupid right. for you to do. Don't do it, kids. Don't do it. Don't uh, do it. Don't buy this shirt, please. Austin gets an abdominal stretch uh, by the ropes. He does the classic grab the rope to get more leverage move oh, yeah. spot there. He gets caught like immediately. Right, it's just to break White. the hold. And so they exchange punches again. They're, and it's and it's great. It's these moments where like you can exchange punches in a match, but like they made these match these punches a moment. Where like yeah. those were like they're like these two separate things, and this time Brett comes out on top. He drops Austin, and then Brett hits a stun gun on Austin. A little bit of turnaround. 
Oh, it's fair play. And Brett, who struggles to kind of get get like like official headway here in this match, he's saying, "Okay, fine. Well, I'm going to do this kind of variation on a, a lucha esque Maji Straw Cradle, uh, where you're just going to leap, kind of like uh, I don't know, kind of keys Austin up there. And he only mm-hmm. gets two on that. And then we'll we see something we never we would never see today. No, nope. Brett Hart gets a big jumping pile driver on Austin for two. That would be a murder death kill finisher in 2022. Well, especially to Austin, yeah, uh, within the next year." <laughs> I know, like no kidding, right? But like, yeah, like you would never see someone do that, and here it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of a crazy, that's a cool spot. I'm like, that's cool. It's yeah, like, it's like, oh, you did a wrestling move, crazy, Paul Orndorff's yeah. uh, finishing maneuver. There it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, Brett gets a backbreaker. And he goes up top, but Austin stops him, and so Austin gets a top rope suplex, and it looks huge. Maybe it's just this match, but I felt that superplex in a major way where I'm like, man, that is – they've earned everything in this match. The superplex is just huge. Yeah. And so Brett, though, he manages to roll it. He gets a kind of cradle pin on Austin, kind of like a small package because they're both kind of on the ground tangled up each other. That only gets two. And so back on their feet, Austin grabs. He gets a stone cold center on Brett, and he covers him, but he only gets two. And I was like, These wow. were like the the when Austin had like the baby stunner where it's like he gets the guy's head there and he pauses for a second and then he drops him instead yes. of like the kick instead of the kick wham stunner we all kind of grew to know and love uh, in yeah. years later he just kind of like I don't think he does a kick I think he just kind of gets him in like the cravat and then exactly. just kind of like falls he gets him like he's gonna do a neck breaker and instead he just drops on the with a stunner instead it's totally strange to see it because uh, you expect some kicking and whamming well like you said. It's a, it's a um, finisher that, like, gained power instead of lose, lost power. Yes. I guess it's lost power as well because people would eventually kick out of it all the time. But, yeah. You know. Now, JR does give Austin some grief here because uh, Austin pulled Brett away from the ropes to pin him. Uh, and he's like, oh, he should have done that. Now, essentially, Austin, of course, is doing that for good reason where he is uh, trying to make sure that Brett doesn't grab the ropes. Like, he has to get him away from the ropes to actually be able to uh, make this work, right? So uh, I thought that was funny. But, yeah, so he kicks out of the Stone Cold Stunner. Uh, and then Austin decides, okay, fine. I'm going to dig into my bag of tricks or continue to, and I'm going to put a, a Texas cloverleaf on Brett. And so he's kind of, you know, that's kind of like a sharpshooter with your arms in a way. Uh, Brett gets to the ropes though. Uh, and then Austin whips Brett into the turnbuckle, but this time instead of Brett falling, you know, going chest first into it, he kind of, his leg gives way and he's thrown back first under the bottom rope into the turnbuckle. So it looks uh, another kind of into rough the, way. Into the post. The yeah, post. it looks yeah, rough. Sorry, exactly. The post, not just the turnbuckle, but in the steel of it right there. And it's like, oh, man, it looks pretty rough. That leads to Stone Cold Steve also doing a Mexican surfboard stretch. Like Let a bow and arrow. Like, sorry, a bow and arrow. That's right, Well, It's a bow and arrow. Uh, bizarre, though. Bizarre this to see bow and arrow. Free neck break Steve Austin is bizarre. The Even boy, at one point in the match, like JR is like, I don't think you're gonna see a lot of high flying in this match. And Vince is like, Oh, maybe you will. I think both these uh, you know, superstars will bust out anything they need to do to win them this contest. Yeah, and so instead it's it's Austin rocking back and having putting his knees into uh Brett's back and sticking him there. Totally weird to see that bow and arrow. Thank you again for Will for that uh getting the name right there. Yeah. Um now, Brett fights out of it, uh, and he goes for the sharpshooter, but, Brett, but Austin is kind of thrashing. He gets throws where Brett can actually turn it over and lock him into a sharpshooter here. So Brett goes for a sleeper, but Austin pushes him back into the corner a couple times, kind of pretty rough, and then he drops down for a jawbreaker on Brett, not unlike a stunner, and then both men are spent. And Brett stands up, and he's kind of kind of woozy. Austin stalks Brett from behind. He's got his arms uh, splayed out, and he grabs a million-dollar dream, his old mm. ringmaster finisher, courtesy of the one Ted DiBiase. 
And so he's got it in on Brett. Brett is is working his way. He, he actually makes his way to the corner. And so Brett puts his foot on the top rope. All while in this submission, he pushes back. He lands on top of Austin, and he rolls over. Austin's stuck underneath Brett. He's tangled up in his arms. Brett's flipped over on top of him. He's in a pinning pin- predicament. The ref counts one, two, and three. And Bret Hart oh, yeah. wins his first match back. He's facing the WF champion next month in your house, no matter who that is. And uh, Sean yeah. said. Shauna said, well, this is a this is a, a variation, I believe, of the one that Brett used to win the Intercontinental title from Roddy Piper, WrestleMania 8, which he did the same thing with his sleeper hold. That's um, right. You can look at this and say, man, I wish Rep didn't rip himself off. But you could also be like, well, Brett also reached the bag of tricks. Just like Austin, Austin should have been doing. smart enough to uh, block it. I mean, no WWE Network at the right? time, of course, you know. Yeah, you got to let go. And that's what JR says. Like, well, Austin didn't let go of the move, so... You know, obviously, he was either too pugnacious or tenacious or whatever word you want to use there to have ever released the hold. But he could have released the hold. He just didn't. Yeah. And now, and the, the wild thing about this is, like, this is not even the best Bret Hart-Steve uh, Austin match we'll cover on this show. Yeah. Uh, and yet it was, like, incredible, right? Oh, it, it ruled. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Just a, such a good wrestling match. Both guys as working as real as possible. Nothing nothing phony, you know, as Brett would say, about it yeah. uh, at all. No, it was great. And it's just a great kind of, um, I guess I can't call it old school because it is, uh, kind of build up to a match <laughs> where it's like Steve Austin just wants to fight the best wrestler and it's Brett Hart. So he calls him out and he starts to jaw jack him and he doesn't respect Brett. And Brett's like, okay, yep. we'll take you on, you know. And uh, that's what leads to this. So this is their first encounter of, uh, you know, a few, I suppose, and it yeah, was many. it was it was awesome. Yeah, it was just a great, uh, great match. Yeah, and uh, Bret Hart slaps some hands at ringside. He's going around to all the fans, and at one point, he even makes his way around to the announce table, and he gives Vince McMahon a big high five on the way by, which seems very genuine. Vince seems very excited to have Bret back, and yeah, uh, he's just yeah, he's happy to have his his Babe Ruth, as Will said. Yeah, the Babe Ruth at the there. World Wrestling Federation. Brett's there. He's yeah. He's, he he high fives everybody, even a little boy dressed exactly like Shawn Michaels. Yes, <laughs> he's trying to convert that kid. Yeah, exactly. uh, which is great. Will we go backstage from that great match? And we the screen is filled with exclusively Psycho Sid's face, and the big man from Arkansas <laughs> is interviewed by Doc Hendricks. He asks if Sid will snap. Sid says he'll do whatever it takes to win tonight. Will, what is Sid wearing on his head? Is it a yarmulke? It looks like a yarmulke or a headband. I think he's just wearing a backwards white cap, like a ball is that cap. What it that's, is? What, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, I thought he was just wearing like a backwards cap on his head, but like in the that's weird. Uh, yeah, is Sid? Uh, is he a part of the tribe? Is he? I don't believe. I, that's a great question. I don't believe he is. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to say conclusively that he is not. That he is a gentile. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, hard to say. Uh, but yeah, I suppose he's probably not wearing a yarmulke. Makes more sense than that. Um, yeah, how quickly can I get through this next match? Is my next question. <laughs> this is, well, we have it another doesn't... completely boring eight-man tag match. Not boring, but well, it's it's you know it's, it doesn't hang around for long. That's right. So okay, first off, Captain Lou Albano wanders out from the entrance, and Jr. makes fun of him. Great. We yeah. don't find out why he's <laughs> there. I believe Captain Lou Albano is ostensibly like trying to research guys he could hi- like bring on as a wrestler manager, but it's completely unmentioned here what that is. Um, the Nation of Domination come out. They're led by two rapping white guys, and this is the group that Farouk, uh, future of the APA, uh, also is Ron Simmons. This is him essentially doing a Nation of Islam black power group. Although they have some white guys in there, uh, like the rappers, so I guess to make it less obvious, I guess. Who, sure. Who's in the nation now? Because the only nation I can think of is the one that eventually contains, you know, like Mark Henry Ahmed Johnson, uh, Charles Wright, uh, 
you know, like we're, we're going to get this, there. It, it's Clarence Mason, who I barely remember as well, yes. who seems to be just like an old school WWF manager, like when uh, teams would be managed by Bobby the Rain Heenan and Slick. Why do they have two managers? Because right. they, ju- they just do in these in these circumstances. They just often just do. And that's why he's around. I think we're gonna. Yeah, if you folks, if you want to hear about the Nation of Domination, boy, is it gonna come up a few times here on this show. Yeah. And so they're around here because they want to see uh, Farouk, Razor Ramon, Diesel. We'll talk about that in a second. And Vader. <laughs> oh, it's them, all right. Yeah. They're gonna. They they're gonna keep, go up against Flash Funk. Flash Funk, Savio Vega, Yokozuna, and a mystery partner. It's a traditional eight-man Survivor Series elimination debuting tag Debuting Flash Funk, right? Debuting Flash Funk. Another uh, debut on the show, the big reset right. button here. Uh, Razor Ramon and Diesel. They were recently brought in by JR in recent months. He just kind of said, like, hey, Razor and Diesel are coming back. And people were like, what? And what? he didn't explain it. And it was just two guys who look like uh, below bargain basement store brand versions of Razor Ramon and Diesel. Yeah. Uh, although when Razor comes out, JR's like, I don't know why the fans are booing him. He's better looking than the Razor was. He can go by that same name. What's something wrong with that? And like, he's just like, it's like, dude, well, the, the thing is like Vince owns the name Razor Ramon and Diesel. So he's yes. like, well, I'll stick it to this Scott Hall and Kevin Nash for leaving my show. So I'll, I'll take these two guys and good old, um, Swiss army knife, Glenn Jacobs. You can play Diesel, you know, no problem. We can go from there. Uh, uh, Jim Cornette, a completely uncontroversial figure on the internet, comes out on commentary. Oh, oh yeah, he does. Uh, Yokozuna trods out. Um, this is his last match in WWF. He's a former WWF champion. He lost the title to, Bel- uh, to Bret Hart in this very building, the world championship. Um, Yoko was always does a big man. Does he even do anything in this match? He comes in at one point. Um, oh, he does. Okay. But he is a very large gentleman at this point. He's, he's tipping 700 at this point, right? enormous. Yeah. Very big boy. big. Uh, they talk about it in a second. Uh, Flash Funk comes out, like you said, Will. He's debuting here. He's got some Funkettes there. They don't know really what to make of him. Funkettes. And the good and the good guy's mystery partner is Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Oh, boy. Uh, and I was like, man, I thought I left behind murderous wrestlers on the SmackDown 6 podcast, and I had to talk about Chris Benoit almost every other <gasps> But now wow. Jimmy Snuka coming out hot. Yep, su- 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 Superfly. He's here. Um, Vader and Flash Funk uh, wrestle here to start off. Uh, Vader just kind of like punches Flash Funk clean in the face because what Vader did. He just stiff guys in the face because he was awesome but also not safe. Uh, Flash does a standing moonsault from the top rope to the floor on Vader, which is pretty wild. Yeah, pretty um, cool. And then, Will, this is where Yokozuna comes in. He does uh, he doesn't tag in, but he hits a version of a rock bottom on Vader. Oh, my via backstage is like, oh. That's right. Thanks, Thanks, Oost. Oost. I respect it. That's right. Um, Vince says, I think Yokozuna is bigger than he's ever been, which not necessarily a good thing. No. Uh, Cornette says he's like a mobile home, which is true. This is a time where you just be like, ah, oh, look how dangerously uh, overweight our wrestlers are. And they're like, ah, it's funny. He's fat as hell. And you're like, okay, <laughs> great. Um, JR points out that Farouk is no longer wearing his headpiece to the ring. If you don't know what that's referencing, I want to really encourage you. Google Farouk oh. helmet. Yeah, Farouk Assad was that his uh, former? I think he might have had it specifically. He was like the gladiator or, or, like or something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sunny so, managed him because you know she did. Sure. So yeah, I want to encourage you to look at that. They're, so they're saying yeah, we're, we are no longer doing that. We're trying to make him look better. Um, Jr. gets after Cornette for his management skills, saying he's like he's bad at it. And Cornette says, "There's a great exchange." Jr. says, "Cornette, sorry." Says Jr. couldn't manage a Wendy's, and Jr. said, "I could if you lived in that town." <laughs> uh, which is great if you know how much uh jim Cornette loves wendy's he should love wendy's but uh, he loves wendy's but apparently he loses it from time to time with the poor people at the drive-thru 
Oh my gosh, I feel so bad for those people. Uh, Fake Razor hits a fallaway slam on Savio Vega, and he hits he throws him backwards with so much force that he falls backwards, and it makes it look like it hurt more than Savio did. Like he looks <laughs> like he did something to himself. Um, Jimmy Snuka comes in. He manages to slam Vader, which is pretty wild. Like, that's crazy. Uh, Savio <laughs> Vega gets jackknife powerbomb by Diesel. He gets eliminated, and it's like finally. Great. Um, Snuka splashes Vader. He gets eliminated, but then right after. Diesel runs over and smacks Stuck with a chair, which in 2022, total he- total face move. Screw him up, Vader. Uh, screw him up, Diesel. Let's do it. Hit him a few times. Get him, Glenn. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. What do we feel about Glenn these days? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get I don't want to get overly political. Uh, but I will say that I think he's a fascist. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, everybody comes into the ring. Savi Vega comes back with a chair, and the referees just squ- they declare it a double disqualification, and so it's just all over. I think it's more like a you know, double disqualification. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They just someone in their headset said, "Guys, we need to leave time for Va- for Sean uh, Sean Sid." So can you just can we just stop, please? Just end the match. Just get just let's move on. We need to tell so them a did, lie. And uh, tell, that's right. Tell them a lie. Well, we'll get there. Okay. Uh, we go from that chaos immediately to a video package for Shawn Michaels versus Sid. This is a WWF Championship match. Oh, Shawn won the title of WrestleMania 12 for Bret Hart. He fought off all comers. Sid's got a title mm-hmm. match, and he's crazy. That's the kind of the gist of it. Well, Psycho. they used to be friends, you know. So, my favorite part of Psycho Sid, they spell it S Y C H O. Psycho, yeah, they, they, the alliteration, man. They can't have the P S Y, you know. They can't have a P. Drop the P, buddy. Come on, pal. That's right. Um, yeah. So Sid and Shawn Michaels used to be friends. He used to be his bodyguard, but then they also teamed together in recent weeks. And I was like, it was after he became number one contender. And I was like, why? Why introduce this now? Like, why bring yeah. that to this? I just couldn't yeah. wrap my mind around why they would. There's no benefit to that at all. So, folks, we got our main event for Survivor Series 1996. We have Shawn Michaels going up against Psycho Sid for the WWF Championship. Um, and yeah, and I will say for some more context here, it's generally accepted that Vader, who was punching Flash Funk in the face in the last match, uh, he was originally supposed to win the number one contendership match against Psycho, uh, Psycho Sid at Barrett Alive. He was going to face Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series. He was going to win the WWF title, and that's why the December pay review ends up being titled "In Your House." It's time. It's time because oh. it's Vader time. True. Instead, it has a title that does not make sense. Um, I think Vader and uh, Sean didn't like Vader, uh, and he has enough sway at this time to essentially say, I don't want that. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. other reasons. But Vader was supposed to get his only WWF title run, and it makes me sad to think that we could have seen Vader with the winged eagle belt, and we never got it. And Sean cool. Michaels is a bad person. Bring in Harley Race to manage him again? Oh, my gosh. Will, don't tease me. Like, like oh, my gosh. Harley Race – sorry, folks, if you haven't watched Vader wrestle – in like 92, 93 WCW with Harley Race as a manager, you owe it to yourself to look up some matches because it's fantastic. Uh, Harley Race, once the match, he'll like come into the ring and he'll like try to do something so stupid and he'll get his ass kicked. And he like, (laughs) he just gets destroyed with these like huge bumps and it's amazing because you're like, oh, he wants to wrestle again. It's cute. So it's amazing. Um, Sid comes out and he bumps fists with people in the crowd. Uh, (laughs) So sweaty. Or just He's one of the wettest men who ever existed, Sid. His character, it's true. And, and his, his, his giant golden curls are just filled with water. Oh, he's looking good. Yeah, and he's not really getting booed here. Yeah, Psycho Sid, his character is that he's insane and terrifying. Uh, and instead, he's still they, a baby face, right? I, not really. I mean, if you've seen all the, the footage and stuff like that, he's, like, threatening to hurt people. And he doesn't, like, he, he often just comes across as, like, I'm psychotic, I'm going to kill you, which is his character here. Uh, but, yeah, so here they like him. He even gets to the ring and... He's got some pyro behind him that comes down from the rafters, and it spells out yeah. S-I-D, Sid. Still, I dominate. 
Suddenly I'm dominant, says JR. Suddenly I'm dominant. JR yeah. just says that as if it's an acronym or something. And I was like, okay. He also says Sid was over six feet tall when he was 12. I was like, that sounds, that sounds hellish. I'm sure it wouldn't be a lot of fun uh, necessarily to, to have to be that tall. Oh, I mean, you know, he's just powerbombing bullies all over the schoolyard, man. I hope he did. And he runs off to play softball. I mean, that was the, they, they're pulling him on the way, of course. <laughs> Sid famously loved to play softball. Um, Shawn Michaels comes out, WWF champion. And the girl starts screaming for him. Yeah. He comes out with Jose Lothario. This is the man who trained him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jose Lothario was an old-looking Latino man. He's, he's only like 61 or something? Yeah, it's like one of those things where you're <laughs> like, oh, he's ancient. You're kind of like, actually, <laughs> like Harrison Ford is 15 years older than him now. Yeah. And you think he's good-looking. Um, so, yeah, uh, he started coming out with Sean around WrestleMania 12. Uh, apparently, Sean hated when he came out with him. Uh, which I get. I get that yeah. it's like, why is this cool guy just have his old mentor around and do anything? It makes no sense. Like, there's no way this guy mentored Sean to be like, yeah, I want you to dance like a stripper and shake your hips and you know, yeah. point your crotch and go go for it. Yeah, yeah. go for it, buddy. It's hard to imagine that was the case. Um, Jose is an important factor here. He, he, he keep your eye on Jose. Eyes on Jose the whole time. Yeah. Uh, so Sid punches Sean to start, but Sean gets hyped and he grabs a headlock. Um, he gets a, kind of his, his legs around uh, Sean's head, uh, Sid's head as well, and Sid kips up to get out of a body sister's headlock. Yep. Which is wild. As clean yeah. as can be, he gets it. I was like, okay. Um, Sean gets out of a military press, and then Sid goes for a power bomb, and Sean scurries away. Uh, and then Sean tries to cut Sid down, and he gets a figure four leg lock on Sid, but he gets out of it, and he starts taking it to Sean. And at one point, Sid is in the corner. He's got his back to uh, kind of the camera that's there, and he kind of bumps into it. And so he turns around, he swats at the cameraman who's there, and he pushes the camera away. You're kind of like, huh, Sid, mad about the camera. And we're like, well, let's remember that. Oh, wow. Oh, that. That's funny. I gave him no credit for that. Good job. Right? Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so right. he, he bumps into him, and he's like, no, I'm pissed off. Get out of the camera, guys. That's great. So Sean keeps working. You'll find out why that's great in a bit, folks. Uh, Sean keeps working Sid's leg, and the fans are starting to boo Shawn Michaels. And He's getting I, some Roman Reigns heat, baby. Yeah, it's a combination of you know just not liking him, this title reign being long in the tooth. I'm sure it's all sorts of things. And the New York of it all, of course. And, uh, you know, pe- people would point to a reason people didn't like Roman Reigns is like, you know, guys would come with their girlfriends or wives to the wrestling shows, and the girls would all go gaga over the gorgeous Roman Reigns and hear the gorgeous Shawn Michaels and scream for him. And all the guys would see that and be like, oh, she likes him because she thinks he's sexy? Well, she thinks he's cute. He knows he's sexy? Oh, I hate him. Boo! Boo. But Shawn uh, is getting so. I My notes say, Shawn's got a little bit of heat. And then later on it said, Shawn's got a lot of heat. <laughs> yeah, the, I, it's the, people in the crowd are like starting to get more confident with like, oh, can we boo him? Because I don't like him. Like, am I, am I, is that okay to do that? Like, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so Sean gets sent out of the ring, but he grabs a top rope and he does the proverbial skinning of the cat, uh, which is when you um, grab a top rope and you use your arms to lift yourself back up. And he brings himself all remember. the way back up, and he gets turns right around, and then uh, Sid clobbers him and s- smacks him way out of the ring uh, with a clothesline. And so Sean does all the work in, and Sid just kills him. <laughs> uh, Sean, Sid throws Sean into the ring near the entrance on the floor, and then he bu- does some fist, fist bumping with some fans there, too. He's just so beloved right <laughs> by the entrance. They love him. He's a baby face if he's fist bumping, I think, you know? I think, but he's... Healing. I mean, maybe. I, I, I don't think. I think he's supposed to be like a crazy baby face. People are like, eh, he's crazy, but he's our kind of crazy, you know? 
Uh, yeah, it's a good. It's a good question. I remember. <laughs> I mean, he did have a stretcher match against Vader in Halifax, not mere weeks before the show. That is true. I remember probably three years ago. I remember watching um, some sort of interview, um, uh, Wrestling Observer, you know, founded by Dave Meltzer. You can have your opinions of that for sure. Um, there's an interview. I think Brian Alvarez. He's a frequent guy. He can be kind of fun on there. Um, opinions may vary, but he had a conversation with a guy uh, who was like talking to a WWE producer. And they just said they just sat down and had a conversation where he's like, "All right, Chad Gable is he supposed to be a heel or a face?" And the guy was like, "He is a face," and he's like, "Really?" So this this kind of they have this conversation around like, "I'm just gonna name a guy. What does WWE want me to think of this guy?" And the guy was like, relaying for this producer to be like, "This is what we. This is how he's seen. Either he's doing heelish stuff, and that's what we need right now. Is that we need right. to be able to go back in time and be like, hey." With Sid at Survivor Series 96, going into it without the crowd reaction, was he a face or a heel? I think they would say heel because he's supposed to be going up against Sean. Oh, he's like a heel who's kind of amicable with him. Maybe he's a bit of a tweener. I mean, at least we have the tweener. Because they are, they are teaming up together, right? And when they team up together, like the crowd is yep. supposed to be like for both guys, right? It's like we hate Owen yeah. and Bulldog. We love Sean and, and Sid. So it's uh, And also, Matt, we're going to start to get into the realm of uh, especially this next year. I mean, there's tweeners, but there's also like you're gonna be something one place, and you're gonna be something somewhere else, and it'll be extremely interesting to see. Big time. That is absolutely yeah. a very important thing to mention as uh, we go forward here, because that is a big factor. Yeah, I guess I've I've been one over the fact that I'm gonna say Sid is a tweener now instead. Yeah, there you go. Uh, back in the ring, Sean goes for a cross body. He's caught by Sid. The crowd goes wild. They love it. He gets dropped see? down for two. Yeah. Sean starts to rally back. You hear the women and the girls screaming for him, but there's like a loud undercurrent of booze. It's like the bass and the treble of the system. (laughs) Yes, there is. It's great to hear it. Roman Reigns heat all the way. It's it. Sean gets on the second rope. He goes for a second rope nothing. This is what we used to say on the old podcast to talk about like, he'll go for top rope nothings where you stand on the top rope, but you jump down. There's no move that you can be clear to be doing, essentially. There's no attempt made. Yes, Sean uh, jumps, he lands on his feet, uh, Sid has his boot up, he hits Sean in the face with his foot, misses by a mile, you see him miss by a mile, and Boy. Sean does this ridiculous sell where he falls down, he flips onto his head, and then falls back over again. <laughs> oh, Sean, <laughs> buddy. Uh, and then Sid grabs a million dollar dream on Sean. Sure. We're you giving him out. That now. That's what you no. would never see now is like doing specific, rest- like back-to-back specific Wrestling holds like that, uh, that are like like one match to another. Like your producer would get in trouble, I think, as they say in wrestling. Yeah, like, I don't think you'd do that. But totally weird. He's got to be. Yeah, he's just got him in a clover clutch. Um, Sean gets out. He goes for his tries for sweet chin music, but uh, Sid grabs the boot. He grabs a choke slam instead. He drops Sean to the mat hard with just one arm. And so Sid puts Sean Michaels in a powerbomb position, but Sean gets a small package for two. Jr. gives. Uh, uh, Sid a bunch of grief for doing a last rights kind of thing before he goes to the powerbomb there. He's like, why are you doing this? If you're going to powerbomb him, powerbomb him. If you're going to win the match, then win the match. Yeah. Uh, so Sean kips up. And he gets immediately killed with a Sid clothesline, which is great to see. Another time where Sid's, Sean's like, I can do it. He's like, he's killed. Yeah. Sid gets in the corner and faces Sean. But he turns around. There's another camera guy, and he grabs the camera from the guy. And so Sid, because we can imagine, Sean's in one corner with the referee looking at him. Sits in the corner holding a WWF camera, like a big TV camera, and he looks like he's ready to hit Sean with it. And then behind Sid, Jose Lothario, all 61 years of him, gets up on the apron, and he's yelling at Sid. And so Sid decides to turn around and hit Jose with the camera instead of Sean. (laughs) Now, which he does by gently hitting Jose in the chest. 
And then Jose like, gently, slowly falls to the floor. Gently cross-checks him, and then, yeah, yeah. Lothario sees his way out. So Sean, even with his distraction, he hits a surprise sweet chin music on Sid, which gets a big chorus of boos. And then Sean gets up, because he's like, okay, well, Sid, I just hit with a sweet chin music. That's my finisher. But I yeah. look, and I go, Jose, Jose Lothario just got hit by, a, he got hit by a camera on the outside of the ring. This is insane. So Sean leaves the ring. He now, there's no way I could wait three seconds and finish this match and then go check on him. No, right. I got to check on him right away. Now I did think of that and I thought, well, if he pinned him, I think he would be, it would be like full heel. I think if you're like, a, you know, pin the guy and then checked on your guy. I think that'd yeah. be too healy. Yeah. Instead, he's, no, it makes uh, no sense. Instead, he's, he's just a little too dumb here. Unfortunately, uh, he looks very dumb. So Sid follows uh, Sean out, and he throws him back into the ring as JR speculates that Jose could be having a heart attack. So they, they go pretty serious here. Of course. Uh, hard back in the ring, though, Sean goes for a turning cross body, but uh, he turns, and instead of hitting Sid, he hits the referee. We have a ref bump. The ref is out. Way to go, stupid. So <laughs> another dumb move. Sean goes back out to check on Jose again because he's not in the middle of a match or anything like that. <laughs> so Sid follows him out again. This time, instead of throwing him back in the ring, he gra- he brings the camera with him. He has the camera again. And he smacks Sean in the back with it. And back in, Sid gets Sean. He hits him with a powerbomb. Oh. He covers him. The referee crawls over. He counts one, two, and three. And Psycho very Sid, slowly. very slowly, Psycho Sid wins the WF Championship. He ends Sean's first world title reign. I will say the pin count itself is awesome because it's like one, the crowd leans in. Two, you hear a female voice scream, no! <laughs> and then the riff hits yes. three. And you the see crowd. a woman actually. You can see a woman behind them. She's like, yes. Oh. Yes, there's a woman who's leaning over the barricade right in the corner. And as soon as the ref hits three, all her joy leaves her body and she falls. You see her planted. Oh, you see her. Ascend. But the woman screaming, no. Like, I love the idea of someone being like, this is it. And I hate it. I have to cheer no. It was so good. Yes. It's These awesome. world's slowest EMTs finally come out to check on Jose Lothario. <laughs> they take him away. Shawn Michaels kind of doesn't sell the power bomb very much. He just kind of like stumbles no, to the entrance after No, he doesn't him. sell it at all. Right? He's- no, I said that's my note. It's like Sean no sells a power bomb and a camera, and gets out and checks on him. A, a world like, title losing later, power like, bomb. He's like, uh. after the ref slow counted. Yes, he gets up immediately. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, bit of a diva that Shawn Michaels. We'll see if he uh, cleans up his act in the months ahead. I think I see good things ahead for Sean this year. So do, do you kind that of won't be rewarded. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. A good thing he currently doesn't have any power in WWE, I guess I going to say. Uh, no, yeah. the time heals all wounds, I guess. Um, Sid will be facing Bret Hart next month on pay-per-view, we're told, to, essentially showing you again how big a deal Bret is that we have a six-month title reign ending. One of the first things they say is, hey, Sid's facing that guy earlier, the, the, our, our guy. We're going back to Sean, going back to Bret here. Yeah. And so Sid bumps and fists at ringside. He gets a big hug from Vlad, who is a uh, fairly famous WWE super fan who's in the front row of all sorts of shows, especially in New York yeah. uh, and a lot of other places. He gets some extra love from Sid. It was tight with the rest of the time. And Sid heads towards the entrance, holding his world championship aloft, and we go off the air. Mm-hmm. Will, I'd love to get your final thoughts on this show. We'd love to. We, I, this is what we do, folks, every week is we're going to have. I'm going to share my final thoughts. The guest co-host is going to share their final thoughts. What I also like to do is get a kind of a, a rating for the show. And on the last podcast project we did, 
the SmackDown 6 podcast. We used the SmackDown video games of the era. We said, you know, hey, if a show is bad, you would say, here comes the pain. If it was eh, like not very good, you would say, shut your mouth. If you said it was good, you would say, just bring it. That's not going to work this time, folks. No. So I went and I went, you know what? What do we have? What can we use for kind of that, that three uh, that three scale, three-tiered scale? And here's what we have, and I'm going to make this clear. Folks, if a show is bad, it's in the dungeon. <laughs> Will, Will's, Will, Will is very excited. He's reacting to this. If, if a show's kind of like, eh, that's called the Neidhart Zone. It's not good. It's not bad. It's in the Neidhart Zone. Then it'll make more sense later on. Will is trying to compose himself as he hears these things. And if the show is great and you should see it, it is a TBT, ITBTWTBTEWB. And that is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. But I great. do really want to use that absurd <laughs> rag for it, Will. So, Will, I want to hear your thoughts on the show, and then I want to hear you grade it out of In the Dungeon, which is bad, The Nightheart Zone, which is eh, and TBTITBTWTBTEWB, which means it was great. Wow. Will, what do you got for me, bud? So, you framing this as a big kind of reset show helps, I think. Um, yeah. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. I'm not quite sure what to make of the WWF right now, um, especially, like, in the Raws that led up to this, like... Maybe I'm just used to it more modernly or, or what we were watching previously, but like there's like a show and there's like stories and there's like segments and like the Raws are very different now. So this one like opens with a really weird contest and I would say that the eight man tags are probably pretty skippable. Like I don't think a lot of guys in these matches have a ton of heat, even though they become mega stars later on. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the three like singles matches that we have, I'd say it's absolutely worth watching, especially Brett and Stone Cold. So, uh, I mean, starting off the podcast hot, I can't help but give it a best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. And I look forward to Sid and Bret Hart in a couple of weeks. There we go. Um, yeah, the show opened strong. I, I thought the first statement tag was pretty good, but I think you're right, Walt, that they're eminently skippable. And you just, like... Unless you're an absolute rock completist, you don't need to see Rocky Maivia, you know, fight gold dust. Like, it's just not that important. Um, yeah. main, main event is worth a watch for the crowd reaction alone. Just one of those curious times where you're kind of like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> like yeah. WrestleMania 18 kind of thing. And Brett versus Austin will be one of the best matches you ever see if you see it. It's a great yeah. match. Not even the best they did, but it's like, it's. I was so in love with the way they told the story. I was like, this is incredible. Um, it's got to be a TBT, ITBT, WTBTEWB for me. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> Unbelievable in any event. <laughs> That's it. So, folks, we're the next show we're going to be covering is going to be the November 18th, 1996 episode of Raw. And it's something I mentioned earlier is that on episodes that don't feature a Bret Hart match, we are going to have a bonus match. So we are going to watch that episode and then talk about that Bret Hart bonus match. So if you're like, you know, essentially to kind of live up to the expectation of like, hey, this is a Bret Hart show. Uh, we are going to talk about it. We're going to go through uh, all throughout the years. We're going to see him win world titles. We're going to see him um, possibly lose a world title or two. Uh, oh. But great, great contests. The first bonus match is one I'm very excited about. It is Bret Hart versus Diesel from Survivor Series 1995. Oh. We're near Survivor Series. We're picking a match from around Survivor Series. And if you want a, a match that tells a great story that's a lot of fun to watch, Bret Hart versus Diesel Survivor Series 1995 is going to do it for you. Oh, uh, yeah. So that is what we are covering uh, next week on the show. 
Folks, thank you so much for joining us for this big inaugural episode for the Hitman's last great year. This is the Smack Attic Podcast. You can follow us. You can find us at Smack Attic and Smack Attic Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. I want to encourage you. Share the show with a friend. If you get a friend who's like, hey, you know who's great? Bret Hart. Then you might That's be friends good. with CM Punk or one of those guys from FTR. It's entirely possible. One of those guys. <laughs> you could be who... one of those guys, in which case we respect you. What can I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bull for I, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that. I hope, I hope you love this podcast. I probably think you would. Um, yeah, you can share the show with them. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell people that you think we're great. Uh, or you can, uh, yeah, it's going to some constructive feedback. I don't think that. I can't take constructive feedback, guys. It's going to hurt my feelings too much. Um, so, yeah. Will, thank you so much for joining me for the first episode of the Hitman's Last Great Year. This has been the last great couple of hours. Thanks for being with me, buddy. Matt, thank you very much. You honor me uh, for uh, putting me on the inaugural episode of this show. And, uh, you know, I was greedy for respect. And uh, I like to think I, I hope I earned it from you uh, over the course of this show. Well, Will, you absolutely you have won my respects. I think that Brett Austin de definitely never said. Now, That's if right. you come over here, Will, I just um, I got a TV mm. camera. I want to show you real quick. Oh, look at that! So, yeah, well, it's kind of old. You might be used to this. Like, look at the dials. I mean, you've kind of seen this yeah, before. And I'm just gonna give you a cool. little whack with it. There you oh. go. Boom. <sighs> anyway, see you next week, folks. My heart. Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs>